Friday, December the 4th, 2020 Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast Hope everyone's having a nice week as we are rolling along in the NFL All the way up to, to week 13 We're getting close to the NBA season starting again December the 11th, we're going to have some preseason games coming up So a lot happening in the, the sports world on this episode of That's What G Said Podcast. We're going to be talking NBA Lakers with Alex Regla. We're going to go through the Lakers roster, a couple big pieces of news with LeBron extending his contract and Anthony Davis up in uh, for a while. So AD and LeBron are going to be Lakers for a bit. We talk about everything Lakers with Alex. NFL Week 13 with Eric over an hour conversation of every single NFL game, point spreads, totals, fantasy implications, injury stuff, who's going to be playing, who to keep an eye on, stable duel, weekend, give you the schedule for the weekend, and for me, the focus is going to be at Gulfstream Park on Friday and Saturday, so I've got full card thoughts for Gulfstream on both Friday and Saturday, and then I've got some best bets for Friday Aqueduct, and then talk the stakes races for Saturday Aqueduct, four graded stakes races, they're not the biggest fields in the world, but I actually like some horses and think we can beat some favorites there. I have Peter Brady, old buddy from high school, joining me for about a half hour recap of The Mandalorian. So this is not like some of the other recaps I've done where I just go over the episode quickly. This is a full, in-depth, everything that happened in the episode. Spoiler alert, we go through stuff that happened. We talk about what to look for moving forward. So if you are a fan of The Mandalorian, if you're a Star Wars fan, if you're a fan that's been watching and you're sort of a novice fan, or if you're an expert that knows all the canon, everything in the Star Wars universe, you'll enjoy this conversation because that's how Peter is. So I kind of ask him the questions and he fills in all the blanks for us with everything going on in The Mandalorian Season 2, Episode 5. Finish up with some thoughts on Saved by the Bell, the new re- the new reboot. Happiest Season, the Christmas movie on Hulu. And I also have Alex Regla joining me for a half an hour recap of All Elite Wrestling. Winter is coming. Huge, huge things that happened on Wednesday night. Sting is back. Sting is in the All Elite Wrestling. We have a new AEW champion too with Kenny Omega. So as expected, folks, we've got basketball, NFL. We've got stable dual stuff for the weekend. Friday and Saturday racing, Gulfstream and Aqueduct for both days, all elite wrestling recap, Mandalorian recap, and then some thoughts on the the new Say by the Bell and the movie Happiest Season, the Christmas movie on Hulu. I mean, when it takes me a few minutes just to let you know what's on the show, you know it is a packed, packed, loaded episode. A couple quick hit things I wanted to get to before we uh, we get into the uh, the NBA with Alex. Sarah Fuller, big congratulations to Sarah Fuller, the first woman to ever play college football in a Power 5 conference game. She had the opening kickoff of the second half for Vanderbilt last weekend, so really cool for Sarah Fuller, the first woman to play college football. Uh, Any first nowadays are are always amazing and incredible, and she's opening some doors there for, uh, for many girls to come in the future. How about staying in the college football world? Jarrett Patterson. If you haven't heard this name, check out the two games that this running back has had back-to-back. On November the 17th, he had 31 carries for 301 yards rushing, four touchdowns, 9.7 yards per carry. He comes back on November the 28th with 400 
and nine yards rushing. 36 carries, eight touchdowns, 11.4 yards per carry. He was 18 yards shy of the all-time single-game record in college football. Just incredible run that Jarrett Patterson is on right now. Uh, Also, uh, just a note for next week and for the next couple months, Shameless coming back the final season. Season 11 of Shameless on Showtime, one of my all-time favorite TV shows. So we will be having weekly recaps of every episode of the final season of Shameless right here on That's What G Said. They will begin next week. Big trade in the NBA. I don't know if it's a big trade, but it's a big Name trade Russell Westbrook and John Wall have been traded Russell Westbrook to the Wizards John Wall to the Rockets And a 2023 uh, John Wall and a 2023 First round pick So two disgruntled point guards Will be flip flopping spots And we'll see if either of these guys Can stay healthy And help their teams contribute So uh, new new surroundings For Russell Westbrook and for John Wall Next week, I will also be recapping a documentary that I want you to go watch. It's on Showtime. It's called Belushi, and it's all about the life of John Belushi, who is someone that I have always been infatuated with. I did a project on him when I was in high school. I read the book Wired, which is a very controversial book, and I was very excited to watch the Belushi documentary on someone who Rolling Stone had, in 2015, put together a list of... Every SNL character, uh, every SNL actor, everyone who's been on SNL, and Belushi was ranked number one, the biggest star, the most impactful. So I'm going to talk all about the Belushi documentary next week. So as you see, we're starting to get uh, bringing back a lot more uh, entertainment. Just I, I love there. There's a lot of good TV, a lot of good stuff out there right now. And uh, anytime I can get someone to come on and, and talk about something with me for a few minutes, or and or maybe. Uh, Point some of you to a show or a movie Or something that I found uh, interesting I'm always going to be doing that So something to keep an eye on next week We'll be talking some Shameless We'll be talking some of that Belushi documentary You can watch actually both of those Over on Showtime Alex Regla Coming up talking some Lakers But first we're going to talk a little bit about Thrive Fantasy Thrive Fantasy is a DFS A daily fantasy app that Focuses in on prop wagering So what you do is you select your lineup Picking 10 out of their 20 options for prop You're going to be picking over or under They have contests every week The big ones for the NFL They are $25 entries With $12,500 in prizes And you're only going to be playing against five, 600 other people in that big contest We're not talking about thousands And millions of other entries That you're playing against You win over $2,700 if you take home first prize there It pays out the top 130 So it pays you out if you have a good week But you don't get the opportunity to win You're still going to get some money there And this is a really cool app Because it's it's more than football We're talking NFL, NBA, MLB, golf, League of Legends You can play in head-to-heads You can play for as little as a dollar I think they even have 25-cent Contest all the way up to a thousand dollar contest. You can get involved on Thursday football, Sunday only, Monday night contests for their games. The big one though is that twenty five dollar entry fee uh, on Sunday. Twelve thousand five hundred dollars in prizes. Promo code G I N O. That's the key here. When you use the promo code Gino, anything that you deposit from twenty to fifty, it maxes at fifty. 
promo code Gino, you deposit 50, you're going to get an instant $50 bonus credit right into your account. You turn your 50 right into 100. Promo code GINO Thrive Fantasy. If you like to bet football, if you like to play fantasy football, if you like to bet props, any of those, you will enjoy this Thrive Fantasy. But don't forget about that promo code GINO. Lakers time. We're going to talk about the Lakers. They a roster that looks a lot different than the roster that the Lakers won the title with last year. And some big news with Anthony Davis, with LeBron locking down in LA for a while. Alex Regla joins to talk Los Angeles Lakers, their roster, and what to look forward to in 2021. Oh, recording this on Thursday evening with Alex Regla, our uh, our regular Laker expert and who we talk NBA with all the time here on That's What G Said. And I'm glad we we actually recorded it right now, Alex, because if it would have been like a day or two earlier, we wouldn't have even had the the we would have been able to talk all about the roster moves in this different Laker roster. But there are two huge developments in the last couple of days. One of them we were all expecting. Anthony Davis, he, we knew he was going to sign. We're just kind of waiting on the. What kind of a deal, the length of his deal What were the terms going to be But while we're waiting for this LeBron James doubles down And he extends his contract So um, we we as Laker fans Are feeling pretty warm and fuzzy inside Knowing that for the, the foreseeable future We've got LBJ and Anthony Davis locked up Yeah, like <laughs> you, you said it right there like, <laughs> I was not expecting LeBron news The Anthony Davis no. news um, it was dragging. I, I was trying to guess, like, all right, yeah. when is this going to happen? If he said Why? And you start to get negative a little bit. And you're yeah. like, there's no way, right? He's not doing anything. Yeah. <laughs> I looked around the like the salary cap for other teams. Like, no, they, he can't go there. They could have to back to the Lakers. So I'm just happy that they both decided to come back. And I was, I, I do find it surprising that Davis did extend, but for the full five years, uh, a lot of people were just assuming he would do a two plus one. Maybe opt out right when LeBron's ready to opt out and then kind of determine where he wants to go from there. But th- he just showed his commitment to this team by signing the full five years, which is actually kind of rare for superstars these days. And LeBron in particular, yeah. you know, he himself wasn't ever one that locked himself up for that long. But I think he he's looked around and he said, OK, why not? You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to put myself with AD for the next few years. This will be a great opportunity, a great place for me to be. And um, he looks at this roster now. I tweeted something out earlier, said, let's build Palenka a damn statue already, (laughs) Alex, because win or lose this year, this is a guy who brought in LeBron James, who brought in Anthony Davis. And we as Laker fans struggled through the worst Laker years in order to Gain assets And I I hate saying assets in order to Gain really talented players That we became attached to You know, starting with D'Angelo To Brandon Ingram, Julius Randle Alonzo Ball uh, Kuz is still here But uh, Josh Hart was another one that We got, even Zubots who's, Who's played well We loved these young guys And he saw right away Hey, you know what? I have to go and get this guy and I have to put LeBron and Anthony Davis together. And however it was worked out, if it's LeBron pulling the strings and Rich Paul, whatever, Palinka got it done. He got it done last year. And this roster this year, Alex, is even on paper a better roster than they were last year, which is kind of hard to say for a team that just won the NBA finals pretty impressively. 
Yeah, I kind of like to compare it to like what Andrew Friedman's doing with the Dodgers, who's another you know front yeah. office um, person in Los Angeles, both the Dodgers and I think usually one of his talking points with how his organization likes to build their roster is they have like these check marks they want to like check boxes they want to like check off and it's like can we make this team competitive now how do we set ourselves up to be competitive in the future and how do we kind of replenish our youth and i think this was the first time polinka did all three and that's a really really hard thing to do especially when you're coming off a quick turnaround when you don't have that much cap space if any and you have two superstars already on the team. Like, that's tough to do, and he somehow pulled it off by getting guys like Montres Harrell, Dennis Schroeder. Um, Wes Matthews. Wes Matthews at the for, minimum. For basically, like, like, a fill-in for Danny Green for, like, three or four times less the price. Marcus Saul at the minimum. Like, Un- this, yeah, Polinka just, uh, uh, again, he, he had his Andrew Friedman moment this summer, and uh, or offseason, and just... He really knocked out of the park, and I think uh, uh, I know someone that you love too, and a guy who's not going to be playing thirty minutes out there. But I was very happy to see Jared Dudley back uh, on the bench because he's the type of player that was missing for a few years with the Lakers. The really good locker room guy that could help everyone. I mean, he kind of feels like he's taken Kuzma under his wing as a project. And he talks about how he watches film with him. He shows him where he needs to go, tells him things. Hey, you don't need to say that. You know, he kind of just tries to keep him in line as an older brother type. He's even like some of the quotes that he says uh, that he's got out there are so just like logical and cerebral. He says things like, you know, LeBron's the leader of this team, but LeBron plays 30 minutes, 35 minutes. He's tired after a game. Like he doesn't have the energy at that point to go up and tell somebody else what they need to hear. I do. And it's so refreshing to find players who just understand who they are and what they bring to a team. I I love Jared Dudley and I'm so glad he's back. Yeah, every every championship team or a team who wants to be competitive needs a player like Jared Dudley on the roster. And it's because those things you just like outlined, like he's a guy who, yeah, he's not going to play 15 to 20 minutes a game. He's not going to do that. But he's going to like work hard in practice. He's going to preach what the coaches are, are trying to get through to players. He's going to take guys under his wing, like you mentioned with Kuz. And that was one of his big talking points when he first signed with the Lakers was, I'm going to take Kuz under my wing. He's going to be the young guy I, I work with. And he did the same thing in Brooklyn with D'Angelo. I think he did it with um, Bradley Beal, if I'm not mistaken. Like, yeah. He's gone around to different rosters and has, has done this role. Like, he's a guy who understands what his job is. And that's how, that's why he's lasted so long in the NBA. When you look at this Lakers team now, from top to bottom, the way they're stacked up, you had a key point, too, is uh, they got younger, which is nice because I think... I think this year we might see a little bit different version of the Lakers than we saw last year in that last year this was a brand new team coming together. Uh, They had not done anything together. They felt like they wanted to prove that LeBron had something left in the tank, that Anthony Davis could win, and they won. This year with the quick turnaround, the fact that the Lakers did not have a ton of time between when they finished and when they're starting up, I get the feeling that we might have more games where 
Maybe on the night uh, on a back to back, we're not getting LeBron or Anthony Davis, or maybe even their minutes is it their minutes are kind of tapered down a little bit in the regular season, and and maybe we amp them back up in the in the playoffs. And what's nice, uh, or what what I why I think that Al, uh, Alex and I think you kind of feel the same way is you go out and get guys like a Montrez and a Schroeder who can play heavy minutes for you if you need and still produce. These guys were two the top two bench. Producers last year and I mean they're just going to fit in So so well with this team's versatility Yeah I think that had to play Into the calculus the the fact of The quick turnaround and the like they literally Just came off a long finals run And LeBron's Obviously getting older so for them to Go out and get two guys Who like you said like Montrezl Harrell Won six man of the year and who is Runner up Dennis Schroeder like so they were able To get both of those guys (laughs) And, um, yeah, like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, like you said, on back-to-back nights or maybe suddenly LeBron has, like, a mysterious groin injury yeah. and to rest <laughs> against Chicago or something. Exactly. Um, yeah, you have two guys, and that was something they didn't have last season, right? Like, it was LeBron and AD, and you ha- had no idea who that third guy was going to be on a night-to-night basis. And, and most of the nights, it was their defense, right? It wasn't mm-hmm. really yep. their scoring. You're right. But now you have a guy like Shooter. You have a guy like Harrell who you would think in theory you could you would get like 30 to 40 points from those two guys alone and and, and that's just a luxury to have when you have LeBron and AD on the team as well. Uh, I guess one one knock is that when you look at the roster um there's still really only like two ball handlers that's not mm-hmm. really a strength of Caruso or some of our other guards in like KCP West you don't really think of them as as a ball handler uh but we do have Schroeder who's excellent we do have LeBron, who's very good, and someone who you you have written pieces and shared stuff about, uh, and that's Mark Gasol, who I'm I'm thinking he probably will start, and he's not a ball handler, but he is definitely a playmaker. Yes, he is someone who you can run an offense through, you can run sets through, you can just kind of give him the ball street ball wise and have him make a decision. He is excellent. He is smart. And he's again though, like he's not someone that don't don't if you're listening, don't let make don't have me think don't don't think that I'm saying he's gonna score twenty points a game or play thirty minutes either, but he feels like just a sort of a better, well more rounded, well rounded version of Dwight from last year. Yeah, like you said, he uh, to be clear, he's not the Marcus Saul he used to be, right? Yep. He's not the defensive player of the year he used to be, he's not the all star he used to be. But what he still is, he still is an incredible playmaker for his position, like you said. Uh, he's another guy I think they can run the offense through when LeBron is is tired or if he's in foul trouble or if he's not playing that night. He's a guy who can either throw the ball into the post or the high post around the three-point line and just run like weave action, dribble handoffs, pick and pops. Like He can find guys... Much like his brother used to do, right? And, and much to kind of how like Denver uses Nikola Jokic. Yep. Where he's just he doesn't move, but if everyone else moves around him, he'll find you. Like if Kuzma, if Caruso cuts, he'll oh my find gosh. them. He, so yeah. that's why I personally am really excited about Gasol is because we haven't had a center on the Lakers who one can space the floor. He's still a really good three point shooter, and two can play make the way Marcus Gasol does. And he also kind of fills the void Dwight left, where we need a guy who can defend those bigger centers like Jokic and Bede. And that's something Gasol can still do at a pretty high level. And and what's so nice, too, about 
you know, and the weaknesses of some of these players, like a Gasol, like a Montrez, who you know Montrez wasn't very good in the bubble or wasn't great in the bubble defensively. I actually think uh, Pete from Laker Phil Room was kind of breaking it down a little bit yeah, on one of the podcasts job. recently, and he was talking about how it really wasn't as bad as as he was being made out. But the Lakers with with the Anthony Davis factor, <laughs> that you know guy. what I mean. That's the difference. It's that you're not like Mark isn't going to be even if he's your five and helping you with big bodies or helping you. You've got Davis in there with him. You'd imagine most of the time, and that mm-hmm. is probably going to be the same thing too. Like I would, there's not going to be a case where you're having Mark Gasol or Montrez as like your only big closing a game out there. That's what's so much different about this team versus where these guys came from before. Yeah, in many ways they were. Kind of the lone protector, right? I, I guess in Toronto, Surge, Surge is kind of yeah, and, right. And Siakam, so I yeah. th- and that's why those teams were so good defensively. Absolutely. And I, again, like that's important. Not one guy is going to shape your defense. You're not going to put one guy on your team and suddenly you're the top ten defensive player, a top ten like defensive team in the league. You need supplementary pieces around you. And thankfully, you know the Lakers have a guy named Anthony Davis yeah. who's pretty good at, at pretty much. <laughs> Everything on defense yeah. So it does help hide a lot of weaknesses mm-hmm. I mean we, we just stack up the way this You know maybe starting lineup And, and possibly bench unit looks One thing that um, we already heard the other day Was Schroeder said I want to start Which I have some mixed feelings on In that yeah. I, as a player of, I, I love everybody wants to start Everybody wants to finish And that's what you want to hear I As a Laker fan I don't like it because last year was so perfect in that nobody said anything about anything. Like everybody was just whatever you need me to do, I'll do my role. Um, we'll do that. But uh, so with with Schroeder, one, do you think he starts? Two, where do you kind of stand on like what lineup would you like to see starting? And is it even that big of a deal if he starts? If he comes off the bench, um, where do you stand with all this? Yeah, like obviously. I- I shared some of the same concerns most people had when they first heard those comments. Like you hear those comments uh, in contrast to what we saw last year where the chemistry was just perfect. And I'm not saying that it's, this is going to be a chemistry issue or anything like that, but it's just kind of different than what yeah. we do. And again, that, that could be a weakness with the roster. With the more talent you have, that's the more mouths you have to feed on offense. Not right? with the Clippers so, last year. Yep. Yeah. So thankfully, the Lakers do have enough chemistry guys. A guy like Jared Dudley, again, whose value may be even more so this year when you have new guys like Trez and Shooter on the team. Mm-hmm. And you have a guy like LeBron who's known to at least put people in their place in a way. You know, like sure. they, they know where they have to be. And a guy like Vogel, who showed all bubble long and all season long, if you don't play or you're not you don't work out in a particular lineup or against a particular matchup, you're not going to play. Nope. Didn't and, care who you were. Dwight, JaVale, Rondo, in, out, whether you were in the rotation. And that's what – and I think where you're getting at is I, I trust him. He's yes. given me a reason to trust him so far. Yeah. And so to answer your question, like at the end of the day, I don't think it matters who starts and who doesn't. But I kind of do think Shooter does start. And, and like the more I think about it, I think we all just assumed because he is like a great six man, like that was just the role he was going to be. But like we mentioned earlier, LeBron's going to have to kind of wean himself into the season and to have a guy right from the opening tip to have a guy like shooter in the starting lineup can handle some of that ball, that ball handling uh, responsibility to play, make to score and to have that right in the starting lineup to allow LeBron to kind of catch his breath as the game goes on 
And just because a guy starts, I think I want to make this clear, like, doesn't mean they're not going to play with the bench. Like, Fogel showed all last year, he staggers his minutes, right? And even so vice LeBron... versa. Like, just because Schroeder isn't starting, I'd imagine, or if he didn't start, you'd have to imagine he probably come he would come yes. in at the six-minute mark when LeBron came out or whenever that was, and he'd probably finish the half and finish most games with the, the you know, AD and LeBron and then whoever else they fill in. Yeah, it's not like, like NBA 2K, right? Like, where the starters come out for the bench guys, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, There's no, yeah. like... They they mesh, and I think that's great. Like to have, like regardless of who starts, you're still gonna get one of Shooter or LeBron with Montres Harrell. Yeah, and I think that's what we want, right? We want Harrell with a pick and roll ball handler, like how he had with the Clippers, and he's gonna have two really good ones in LeBron and Shooter. And I think the key, which I imagine you and I are talking about this, so I'd imagine Frank knows it too, is just as long as there's a LeBron or a Schroeder out there. I think we'll be okay. Like yeah. one of them to really handle the ball. Um, in in other moments, like and maybe this is something that we add a veteran down down the line. You know, in the season, just another backup off the bench who can just kind of help out in a spurt or two uh, here and there. Because as long as one of them is out there, we'll be fine, and and it'll help. Because what one strength of ours that I, I do want to make sure that these guys don't get kind of shoved down the uh, the. The like shoved down the bench is the KCP, the West, the Caruso, like the the off guards that can play so well defensively, that can do little things for you. The two, you know, West and and KCP, excellent shooters. Mm-hmm. Caruso more of a cutter and can still do some offensive stuff. I think that's sort of a strength for us, making sure to to get those guys sort of set in their best position to succeed. Three and D guys, you know. Yeah, I think you're outlining the issues, not the issues, but more the challenges Vogel's going to have this year. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and like you said, like we'd even mention Kuzma, right? Yeah. Like <laughs> I know, uh, or, it, or it, a THT who we know they're high on. Yeah. It, yeah, that's true. So figuring out the rotations and the minutes, and and more importantly the roles and how they're utilized within the offense or defense, like that's going to be way more complicated this year. And, and like that has pros and cons. Like obviously that's a good problem to have, right? But uh, it also could present some challenges. So I think it's I, I think the first like 20, 25 games might be just a lot of experimenting. And if they're not winning a lot of games, I wouldn't panic. No. Considering the quick turnaround, considering the the influx of new players, uh, I think this is a team that gradually gets better as the year goes along. And that's kind of what we thought last year would be. Yeah. But it just went perfectly from from day one. And that's just not realistic. No. I mean, you look at a team that will be starting either LeBron, KCP, Wes, AD, and Gasol, or it might be Schroeder, LeBron, KCP, AD, Gasol. Uh, You'll have, it's just unbelievable what you bring off the bench with. It might, you might have a bench of Schroeder, Kuzma, Caruso, Montrez, and Markeith. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like that would be a good starting lineup in some places too. And then the bottom of the bench guys in in Dudley and Taylor Horton Tucker, who got some bubble minutes last year, and who can you know guard wings. He's good defensively. Yeah, he's he played actually, in the playoffs. He I know. The- <laughs> it's it's crazy. Like this this one through eleven right now, and it's uh getting giving me a little bit of goosebumps as we talk, Alex, as a Laker fan and, and someone that is excited for the season. They've also announced the first two games that we're gonna have. I mean, we're we're recording this on December the third, and there are gonna be games in like ten days. 
preseason games. <laughs> I, I, I think their first practice is on Sunday. So yeah. It, it, it's insane. I, I am not actually ready for this basketball to return, but I am really excited for, for this team to watch them, how they play. Alex Regla, we talked a little uh, AEW wrestling on this show as well, but uh, where I came across Alex was when I uh, when I found his work covering the Lakers and NBA. He just does a phenomenal job. He is uh, get, gets a lot into advanced analytics and numbers and everything it is great. It's like what I like about you, Alex, is uh, you're not, but you're not just an analytics guy. It, I think that in nowadays you kind of have to be a little both. Like it's part narrative and it's part analytics with with everything and everyone that we study. That's like all of the stuff that you put out there. A lot of the times now on throwdowns is really really good stuff. Let everybody know where we can follow you. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. And, and I come from a, a not a numbers background. I come from an English background, so I do. I, I do kind of lean the kind of journalistic approach, and, and I'm just think I have to use numbers like that's just part of the modern game. But yeah, you could, guys can find me at Throwdowns.substack. It's a newsletter. It's free. I'm gonna be you know updating it consistently throughout the years. And we, the cool thing about the newsletter it just goes right to your email. You don't have to go searching for it whenever I post something, and it's gonna be right there when you wake up in the morning. Excellent stuff Alex Regla Thank you so much buddy And uh, c- uh, congratulations again To uh, your family And I hope you guys have a great uh, holiday season Coming up Man we'll be talking I'm going to I'm gonna be uh, getting back to you in a few weeks because we're gonna be t- <laughs> We have games on the 22nd And the 25th right off the bat Clippers, Mavs So uh, Laker fans get ready And make sure you give Alex Regla a follow Thank you so much buddy Thank you man looking forward to it Okay, uh, we will finish up NBA and we will transition in just a moment. Don't go anywhere on That's What She Said. Big thank you to Alex. You're going to hear him back uh, in just a little bit when we talk about AEW All Elite Wrestling and their big dynamite show from Wednesday night that was titled Winter is Coming. Big thanks to Alex. We get set for the NBA season. It's, It's the 4th when you're listening to this, December the 4th. On December the 11th, there will be preseason games. One week. From now, time to talk about Cindy Carava, full service realtor. Cindy Carava, longtime sponsor of That's What G Said. Her website, Cindy C A R A V A dot com, is where you can find everything you need. Now, she's a full service realtor. What does that mean? She can help you in many different ways selling, purchasing, leasing. She can help you find a vendor like a handyman, a painter, a landscaper, gardener that she personally uses. She can help you getting pre-approved for a home loan. She can connect you to lenders that she works closely with and can highly recommend. Covering all parts of the San Gabriel Valley, parts of North San Diego, County, Del Mar, Solana Beach, Rancho Santa Fe. She can even help just get a free market analysis of your home's value. Maybe you just want to see how much your home is worth. And right now, she has a Black Friday special through December the 31st to the end of 2020. If you list, purchase, or refi your home with Cindy by December 31st, she will compensate you for up to $1,500 for services including appraisal, physical inspection, and home warranty. Get you and your family into a new home this holiday season. For more information, give Cindy a call, 626-394-6400. Zero, zero. Full service realtor, Cindy Carava. Anything you need in that field, make sure to, to check in with her. Let her know Gino sent you. She will take great care of you. On to the NFL. Eric joins us, ETOF 21 Sports, and we go game by game by game. We start with Bears Lions. 
going through each of the 15 games for Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, and we're going through totals, point spreads, injury news, reasons why we would play one team or the other, numbers that we're looking for, anything and everything that you need to get you all set up for NFL Week 13. Kick back and enjoy the discussion with Eric. NFL Week 13 in uh, a Frequent guest on That's What G Said podcast Eric Etoff 21 Sports joins us to discuss This upcoming week but I guess Before we go uh, go forward To this week Eric have to just Mention uh, the craziness that Was week 12 uh, This for the most part the NFL has done a good job With all the COVID stuff this Year there have been a couple key players There was the, the stuff with the Titans earlier In the year but heading into week 12 for the most part, everything was pretty good, and then it just seemed like week twelve we had a situation where, uh, I mean, we had to have a game moved repeatedly. That was supposed to be the primetime game on Thanksgiving night. We had a situation where the Broncos had no quarterback whatsoever, and uh, it it definitely got to the worst it's been this last week. Yeah, I mean, a lot of stuff was affected. I'm Colts were missing some key guys up oh, front. Yeah, that allowed how about that. Buckner, they allowed, they got, yeah, yeah, yeah. That allowed Henry to have that huge game. That game, that game would have played out totally different. Um, I mean, the Broncos. I mean, I, I kind of feel like that uh, Shermer and Vangio just kind of tanked that game. I mean, that was kind of. I feel that was kind of a poor effort because I kind of look at it like, if you call and you tell me I have 24 hours to do something, I'm. I look at it. Hey, I have 24 hours. I mean, I think they easily could have put together 10 plays for Hilton to know and five wildcat plays for Freeman or Lindsay to run out of. And but it just those it weren't just, the right guys in that yeah. situation. They, they've never been uh, accused of being creative offensively or good offensive minds. And it's like to have a worse staff put be to, to be put in that situation. You know, it, they just uh, they look bad. So just a lot of things to keep in mind moving forward is. You know, when you see some of these move the points or movement, rem- remember that a lot of times the public is reacting to what they just saw, especially if there are big scores or teams that get crushed. So keep that in mind week to week when you're uh, when you're playing these games. And we are into week thirteen. There are two buys coming up this week, and uh, we have no Thursday game, but we have two Monday games and a Tuesday game. We're coming off of week of a week where we just had a Wednesday game. And just to kind of set the the tone of what the league looks like right now The Bengals are starting Brandon Allen The Jags have Mike Glennon as their quarterback For the Jets, it's Sam Darnold, but he's been pretty bad The, the Giants are starting Colt McCoy Who at 7-21 and 21 against the spread Is the worst ever mark as a starter With that sample size against the spread Carson Wentz might be the worst quarterback in the league this year The Broncos, we sort of like lock a little bit But he's inconsistent And they just played a game without a quarterback The Cowboys are starting Dalton The 49ers are starting Mullins The Washington football team is actually starting their third quarterback And he looks better than the first two that played this year Cam Newton has looked horrible for the Patriots The Ravens just played without Lamar Jackson The Saints are starting Taysom Hill The Dolphins have gone back and forth from two out of fits Josh Allen was banged up last week for the Bills Kyler Murray has been banged up He looks like he's going to be healthier this week And the Bears don't know what to do with Foles and Trubisky So there are some teams out there with some quarterback issues heading into this week, Eric, as we get to uh, the first game that we're going to discuss. It's the Bears versus the Lions, and 
Are we going to get that that coach fire bump for the Lions? This is your team here. I know you've been pounding the drum to to fire Patricia for a while. He he was just abysmal as the head coach at 13-29 and 1 and in the last 2 years he was 31st and 27th in yards allowed. And that was supposed to be what he was, a defensive coach. I mean, I really feel the the reason the Lions didn't fire him sooner was they were afraid that what happened with Belichick when the Browns let him go mm-hmm. and then he went to the Patriots. I think they just were fearful that if they let him go, he would go somewhere else and be this great coach, which the fact that all these ex-players were coming they out hate him. talking trash about him they hate just him. shows you how bad of a coach he actually was. And then there's this a Twitter account that's obviously his burner. It's like Eddie P. Lions fan. <laughs> and he's defending every single thing. And I have a well, funny... He didn't tri- get to make all the decisions in the locker room oh, you know, and stuff like that. Oh, it's God. just... <laughs> and I mean, I I was... When they first hired him, I was really excited. It was right after the um, they won the Super Bowl. Yep. And I was really excited. My buddy said, I was talking to my buddy on the phone. And he told told me the story. He was actually at this restaurant where the Patriots were celebrating their Super Bowl victory. There was this huge commotion at the door. Someone was trying to get in. They weren't trying to let this guy in. And the guy was like, sir, we don't let homeless people into the restaurant. (laughs) The guy was Patricia. I mean, that looking back at it, that should have been my first red flag. He said Which something to someone about, like a that. reporter, about not looking presentable. Yep. And he shows this up guy. to a Super Bowl party, and the <laughs> bouncer thought he was a homeless man. It's so, just mind-boggling to me. And, and the crazy thing, too, that you hit is the players that have been coming out that have been, oh, glad we're, they're so happy he's gone. Because you don't see that happen as often in the NFL, because a lot of the players understand that this these guys, when they leave, are going to go end up somewhere and be a coordinator. That you're going to run into, you know, so you, you don't see people really bad mouthing each other that blatantly. Like this guy was not liked at all. And I, I love playing the the off the coach bounce. And you got the Bears here who are a three point favorite against the Lions. Over under in this game is 45. The Bears offensively have just been so bad. And they're a little banged up on the defensive end, too. Um, I mean, I, I'm definitely li- leaning Lions side on, on this one. I am going to wait to see. It keeps on fluctuating between three and three and a half. I'm definitely going to be on the Lions. You can get the three right now. I'm going to hold out for the three and a half. In terms of the Bears, Foles and Trubisky are both upset with the play calling. They feel like the play calling isn't giving them a chance to succeed. You have Nagy calling out the players about not giving an effort, which is not good. That should be handled internally. You shouldn't be voicing that stuff out in the media. Lions offensive line is actually the strength of the team. It's graded out pretty good by pro football focus. And Akeem Hicks is banged up. If Akeem Hicks doesn't go, that's huge for the Lions because they would be able to get the running game going with Swift. If he's able to play, they came out today saying he had an illness. So I don't know if that's COVID related or not. So either Peterson or Johnson or Swift should be able to get the run game going if Hicks doesn't play. And also if Hicks doesn't play, that's going to allow the Lions to double team Mac during the pass rush. I'm definitely going to lock in the Lions three, three and a half. And also if I can find plus 150 or higher on the money line. Yeah, I agree. I, I place a money line here. Lions are four and seven on the year, four and seven against the spread. And the uh, Bears are five and six, five and six against the spread. 
as we move along to game number two on the slate. Saints, Falcons. The Saints are now nine and two, six and five against the spread. Falcons are four and seven, five and six against the spread. This game is Saints minus three. On the road against the Falcons Over under in this game 45 and a half 45s are up on the board Also um, I'm I'm looking for spots to play against the Saints with Hill Because he just hasn't been very uh, good And two weeks ago When these two teams played Atlanta was moving the ball early on And, and they sort of did the same thing against the Raiders early But they, the Raiders were just so bad it didn't matter That Atlanta just kick field goal Kick field goal Kick field goal Uh do we know about Julio Jones in this game? And do you have a, a side with Atlanta with the Saints as a Saints a three point favorite on the road? I know Julio didn't, didn't go today, and the main thing with Matt Ryan looks at Julio like his security blanket. Like I know. His numbers are night and day when Julio's Horrible. out there versus when he's not out there. I look at it like this: this is their second time seeing T- Taysom Hill. They they probably really didn't know what to expect that first time. That's why he was able to have a good game. But he really didn't have that good game for a quarterback. I mean, he had that one god-awful throw down the field that was insanely short to Emmanuel Sanders. So the Falcons will definitely have more film on him. And Kamara is their most explosive player. And he's a zero factor right now just because Phil can't complete a simple pass to him. Every Monday I do my DFS guys I like to build around. And this is the first time I only have one Saint player, and that's Latavius Murray in my build. That's the only guy I trust. I definitely like the Falcons in this spot. Three, same thing as the Lions. Three, and if the money line's over plus one fifty, I'll I'll be in that, and I'll probably parlay the Falcons and the Lions together, money line wise. Yeah, I'm with you too. I'm on the I'm on the Falcon side. Three, three and a half in here. It's just Hill. Hill was not good last week against the Broncos. I mean, he he wasn't. And this is like. I think this is sort of like Sean Payton being a little bit stubborn And trying to prove a point More than doing what's best for his football team Because I think they would just be better with Jameis And, and they've won, right? They've won But they're not tr- worried necessarily about winning these couple games This team is a legitimate Super Bowl contender So what? What for them, they have to look at it like If they're not going to have Drew Brees Who do they have an, a better opportunity of winning the Super Bowl with? And I just don't think they can win a Super Bowl With a guy that can't throw the ball down the field Like we saw with Taysom Hill At least Jameis Jameis would give you that option So I wonder if at some point Maybe his stubbornness of like Trying to prove that my guy can work It feels like it's going to catch up with him at some point And it may be oh, here, right? But the la- Oh, I totally agree And I, I feel the last three years The Saints have had the most talented team Each of the three years But it comes to, like you said Peyton's stubbornness That is costing them games in the playoffs You're too which cute is play with calling. stuff Like why yeah. do you you have Drew Brees and you're bringing in Taysom Hill for stuff. Like just, I mean, that stuff just doesn't fly for me. I want the Hall of Famer making a throw. I don't want some gadget player in a critical no, situation. No, and and you've got this great security blanket in Camara, where like they could literally just run like plays two little short outs to Camara up and down the field and go up and down the field. All, all the time so I just I don't feel like this is the best version of the Saints Or uh, I feel like there are Multiple versions of the Saints that could be better This could be a sneaky game for them to get Caught here uh, we move Along to Colts at Texans this game is now uh, I think it's up to three and a Half because we're starting to see Some of these Colts players get Healthier uh, Eric they had they played in a very deceiving game last week, as you mentioned, where I think it was Buckner, and then there were two other players right in the middle of their defense that were out, and then they lost Costanzo, so they were really banged up. 
And there's just no way you're going to stop someone like Derrick Henry when you don't have those key players in the middle of your defense. So I I think the Colts are going to win this game. Obviously, there's no Fuller for Houston too. I think uh, Cobb is a little banged up in here too. So some of their weapons are are in peril. Um, I don't know if I'd want to play it at three and a half. You know, three and under three. I would I'd lean to the Colts, but I just think I think they're going to bounce back with a healthier squad here. Uh, Rivers is a little banged up. Something to keep an eye on. Uh, Col- we got the Colts. Texans, Colts are seven and four, uh, six and five against the spread. Texans four and seven, four and seven against the spread. And over under right now fifty one in here. I mean, when I look at this game, one of my rules, and I have all these rules with betting, is never lay points on the road. So that immediately takes me off the Colts. Yep, they're definitely. I read a report today that's getting Buckner back. When Buckner and Leonard play, this is a top defense in the league. When one of them is out, it's middle of the road at best. Mm-hmm. With that being said, the Texans. Lost Fuller that's going to promote Cooks and Kuti up to prime The set the first and second wide Receivers I think it's going to take them a half To kind of get the offense going Especially against the Colts D Which isn't going to give up as many points Like you said Rivers is hurt Colts are Historically bad starters with Rivers under center The first half under Is is 24 and a half 24 is the key number So I'm leaning if I Play this game would we play the first half under 24 and a half total points Just a couple notes on the Texans They are 4 and 3 since the, the firing of O'Brien And Deshaun Watson Since week 5 with that coaching change 70.6 completion percentage 2,109 yards His touchdown to interceptions Plus 16 touchdowns And his passer rating 120.3 Just to put that into comparison Mahomes has a 116.3 since week five, so Watson has been incredible. the The problem is, is that their defense isn't any better, and they just keep losing weapons. He can be as good as he can, and they're 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 probably closer to a five hundred team than their four and seven record because they lost a, and they still lost a couple of games. One that you and I were on when they should have beat the Titans, no yeah. doubt about it. So um, I don't have a strong opinion on this one, one way or, or the other. Uh, Eric likes the uh, that under in the first half. We move along to Raiders Jets over under 47 and a half Raiders are I think up to nine It was eight now it's move. It keeps moving This game is up to nine in some Spots the Jets are Awful they're terrible Gase is bad But the Raiders uh, If this was a game Where the Raiders were just coming off the Kansas City game I, I played against them last Week it was a brutal spot for them This is this feels like At least you got punched in the mouth and now you have a little bit of time to to realize it But the Raiders did have to travel last week Go back and then travel back across the country It's up to nine here um, This is the point of the year last year when the Raiders absolutely fell apart Are they going to bounce back in this game against the lowly Jets? I mean, first of all, did you see the report that came out that Gaze admitted He hasn't done anything for Darnold's development? Yeah, I mean, and he how, the other day when he lied coach, about the play calling like, They told I mean, him it's just <laughs> He's so stupid. It's just, it's just amazing to me. Like it, why? A, why would you say it? Why would you say that about the play calling? Why would you admit you're supposed to be this offensive genius and you're not developing your young quarterback? It just the whole situation is just mind boggling to me. I look at the Jets' schedule and I say to myself, they obviously don't want to go zero sixteen. When is the game they can win? Um, I'm thinking it's either this game or the last game, week 17, against the Patriots. So the Patriots just shut everything down. What the number is, the number is screaming to take the Jets. But at the end of the day, 
both these teams just have way too many questions for me to be anything financially invested in. Gruden is running Josh Jacobs into the ground like he did to Cadillac Anderson back in the Tampa Bay game. Jacobs probably has two years left in his in his NFL shelf life just because of how much running they're doing. They're running they're up. running the ball fifty three percent of the time. That's by far the most in the NFL, and he's just ruining Josh Jacobs' longevity of his career. I just can't be anything invested in this game just because I have so many questions on both teams. If it's got the ten, I'd take the Jet side. Um, at nine, it's still kind of in in between for me. I. I I, mean, I can absolutely see the Jets with a late backdoor to cover in this game, but this feels like a game for a Raiders team that was just knocked out of the playoff mix. They ha- this is like their season. They have to come back and play better. It's just it's not easy to go on the road, you know, cross the country back and forth. And that loss to Kansas City a couple weeks ago, it might have broke their heart a, a little bit too. So we'll see. I just I- I'm with you. I, I don't have a strong. Opinion either way uh, uh, Raiders 6-5, and 7-4 and four against the spread The Jets 0-11 3-8 Against the spread with the coach That just said he didn't pre- He hasn't prepared their Top uh, pick quarterback That was supposed to be their franchise quarterback And the coach who earlier in the week Got called out by a reporter For blatantly lying They, they yeah. were like, coach well, you know, you were calling the plays, and he was like, "No, no, I wasn't." You know, it's like, "Well, we we had a camera on the other coach who you said was calling the plays, and he was not even talking. He didn't have a headset on. There was no way he was calling the play." Oh, so that's what you? Well, that I mean, this guy, like, there is something to be said about having to have a certain type of personality to be a head coach. That's the difference between being a coordinator and a head coach, and that's the reason why there are a lot of very good coordinators. That when they become a head coach They're terrible because they don't Have people skills they can't connect We saw this the first time that he Had his first press conference where his eyes Were like frozen And he was like looking ahead he just He just doesn't connect very well Um, And and, uh, He doesn't have a a very long Shelf life oh he's gone He's gone shows you like Peyton Manning like he was the OC when Manning had all those He's been living off him, Denver. but it just shows you like if you if you're able to button hook your career to somebody in the NFL, just the longevity you will have being crap. I mean, the he do- was the Dolphins and, from a couple yeah. years ago were good. Like, think about how many of those players yeah. from those Dolphins teams have left and gone and been very impactful yeah. or good other places. Tannehill, Drake, Minka Fitzpatrick, the wide yeah. receivers. Parker was terrible and and didn't really get going until he left. Like. Mm-hmm. He just, he like makes good players bad. Yeah, he's just, it just amazes me as a job, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, it does. And uh, we move along to Titans Browns here. And this one is five and a half or six. The Titans are favored. And this is a game that I really like this week, uh, Eric. I, I've watched this Titans team. Repeatedly through through the year And they're coming off of games that look Really really great on paper right You're talking about uh, a win Against the Ravens And then uh, you're talking about another win Against your your rivals in the Colts But I mean, they were both Banged up in both of those Games right up the middle right where the Colt right where the the, the Titans want to hit them I, I, I think this is a sneaky matchup and I, I feel like There's a little value on the Brown side Out of Every game on the board, this is the game that I love the most. A, you have, like you said, the Titans coming off their game of the year where they played great against the Colts, who are missing some very key 
key pieces in the defensive end that allowed Henry to have the monstrous game he had. Guess who's coming back for the Browns this week? Miles Garrett. I know you're a Rams fan, but I'm sorry. I really feel Miles Garrett's the best defender in the league. He's right now. He's absolutely on I, the very short list. He's right so, there with Donald. Absolutely. So that's going to – and the Titans, they have trouble in the offensive line. They're banged up in the offensive line. The reason why Jonu Smith's production has dropped the last couple weeks, last five weeks, is because he's actually not running as many routes. He's staying in the pass block. So you got Garrett that's going to come in and attack a weak offensive line, going to stop the run. He's going to get to Tannehill. And then you have the Browns who have the best running game in the NFL with Chubb and Hunt. They're going to use that running game to set up the play action that's going to attack the Titans, who are the 26th worst team defending the pass. I love the Browns plus the six. I love the Browns to straight up win. And the over-under is 53 and a half. To me, both these teams, when they get the lead, just take the air out of the ball and just run the clock. That's way too high. I'm going to be on the under in the game, too. I like on, all three of them. I'm with you on all sides. It's what's, what's happened with this game, too, is you're getting a couple extra points because people are overreacting to last week. Tennessee's win and Cleveland's like just slight victory over the Jags. There were a couple things going in into play there. First, everyone's oh Baker's terrible because he missed a like a wide open throw. Sure, he 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 missed a bad throw, but he was actually very good the rest of the game. I think he had like two off throws, and other than that, he he had really good throws into tight windows, and he got. In rhythm with Landry Which I think could be key for this game Because now you're playing against another really bad Secondary that you mentioned A team who is just awful against the pass And late in that Jags game There was some questionable officiating That gave the Jags an opportunity to score That made the game closer than it was If the Jags don't score late Cleveland covers that game And you might not, we might not have gotten an extra point or two Maybe, maybe we would have But Still, in the overreaction from what it was early, this thing has already floated up a couple points. I do like Cleveland quite a bit in this spot, and it's it's liking Cleveland and thinking they've they've been decent this year and a little bit better than people think because they've had to deal with that bad weather. It was almost like they were in a different world for a month with these all these bad weather games. So a lot of their numbers and their like their stats when you look at them, they don't really add up. They're not high on DVOA and stuff. And I think I think some of that is built in. Because of their weather They weren't able to really have these games Where they pass the ball and move smoothly And we saw last week Their offense can hum when they have everything going You bring Garrett back to help them shut down Henry Yeah, you and I are definitely going to be uh, Watching and rooting for the Browns this week I also the, agree The other I'm, thing I yeah. don't mean to cut you off But the other thing no, no, I've noticed please. with Mayfield Is OBJ getting hurt Was great for him Because he's not looking his way He's yep. scanning the whole field now And getting Everyone involved It was like he was force feeding Beckham the ball He felt so, a little I mean, pressure to get yeah. in the ball Yeah. So and, I mean and I'm not a Mayfield guy But he's definitely as long as they, He passes 20 to 23 times a game And they have the run game going With the play action This is a sneaky little team Yep and again you know things that I was mentioning uh, This is another new coaching staff For him and a coaching staff that How many games this year were games that felt like they would have been a Browns loss last year. Even that Jags game, right? Yep. It was like they 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 were the type of Chargers team that found ways to lose in these past years, and they're not doing that at all. They're eight and three this year, uh, bad against the spread, four and seven. But I like them better in a situation like this against the spread. If they're a seven or eight point favorite against a bad team, who cares? They they don't care if they beat them by more than a field goal. And we've seen a couple games that they could have covered, but they just ran the clock out. You know. Yep. The, 
the game when Chubb w- went down, you know, things like that. So uh, we got the Titans, who are also eight and three. They are five and six against the spread in a very intriguing matchup this weekend. We're both on the Browns. We're both on the under there. Also, we move along to Dolphins, Bengals, and Dolphins are an eleven and a half. Point favorite against the Bengals And uh, a lot of this is because Of the the quarterback situation here We're going to have For the Bengals Brandon Allen Starting and the Dolphins Look like it will be Fitzpatrick again Because Tua let's be honest he was a little Banged up so we don't know if that was honest Or if if it was just because he didn't look good He really didn't look very good And they were winning games because their defense Was was scoring points at, at an Unsustainable level as far as what's Better for the Dolphins they're better They have a better opportunity of making it To the playoffs winning the division winning The winning a game in the playoffs right Now with Fitzpatrick in my opinion Oh, I agree 100% on the top of my notes on this game. It all depends on if Tua plays or doesn't if I'm involved in this game. I, I, when we did our draft, um, when I came on your show and did the draft preview, I had Tua as my fourth best quarterback. I've been yep. against Tua the whole time. Day one. And he's got a lot of flaws. And I truthfully feel that his thumb isn't as banged up as they're saying it is. And Flores is realizing that to make the playoffs, which for a young team to make a playoffs is huge. To win a game in the playoffs is even bigger. I think he was realizing Fitzpatrick gives him that best opportunity. If Fitzpatrick is playing, this game is a pure stay away for me. If Fitzpatrick is sitting and it's Tua, I'm going to be in on the Bengals for sure. The Bengals, uh, unfortunately, without Burrow, uh, are now... Two eight and one seven and four against the spread. Uh, Miami seven and four eight and three against the spread here. And this is a big game for Miami. You know the loss a couple weeks ago to to Denver is a, a loss that may end up hurting their their playoff chances down the line. So they can't take any game lightly. And I agree with you. It just but when you look at the Bengals, though, I mean they're competing. They're in games. Oh, they, they, they battled weapons. last week. I know they, they're definitely like. Trending they're in better the right direction than with Finley for sure. Yeah. They, and they're just, I mean, if they just get one more offensive lineman and a pass rusher, they're set. Assuming Burrow's healthy, of course. But I mean, they're competing for Taylor. They're actually a little ahead of where I thought they'd be at this point. They're in a tough division, too. You know? Yeah, I, I like this team uh, in the future moving forward with, uh, with a healthy Burrow. Um, this over under this total is around 42 42 and a half as we move to Vikings Jags Vikings this game is up to 10 and a half now uh as a 10 and a half point favorite against the Jags over under is 52 I believe they're going to get Thielen back from the covid list the Vikings are Jags are 1 and 10 5 and 6 against the spread Minnesota 5 and 6 6 and 5 against the spread uh, Cook was a little bit banged up at the end of last week. Something to keep an eye on. Minnesota was able to come back after those back-to-back fumble sixes uh, against them last week. This this feels a little high to me. Up at ten and a half for for the Vikings. I don't I don't know if I have a strong opinion either way. But I don't know if I could lay ten and a half with Minnesota here. I mean, I look at it like this. You look at the Jags over the past month. Every game's been competitive except for the Steelers game. And even there, they're in it till the end. Lutton, Jake Lawton, who was playing quarterback at that time, he just missed a couple throws. They play hard for Monroe. The offense funnels through James Robinson. And Glennon showed he some, could make some throws. This Vikings defense 
is not that good. I mean, their linebacker core is good. They really don't have a pass rusher. They have banged up in the secondary. I like the Jags to cover, and something important to remember is the Vikings right now are 5-6. and six. They're one game out of the playoff picture. Yeah. They have Tampa Bay next. If, if they get up like a touchdown like late in the fourth, they're just going to sit on the ball. Like, yeah. Like this, like 10 points, over, over 10 and a half, this is golden because the Vikings, they don't want to be banged up going against Tampa next week because that's a huge game for them. They're going to get the lead, and they're just going to take the air out of the ball. This feels way too high. I agree. Yeah. Uh, so I'm just... definitely going to be on the Jags this game. Yeah, and keep an eye on uh, Colin Johnson, wide receiver for the Jags. Mm-hmm. If if they're banged up at wide receiver and they're if Sharks missing and if if they're down Connolly again too, he's he might be someone to throw in in DFS. He seemed like he had a good connection with Glennon when he came in last week. Shark practice today. So yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. something to keep an eye on too. Yeah. So Shark and Shark for them definitely helps them as a team overall. You know, like their chances of winning. No Shark. Uh, will hurt them a little bit, but maybe maybe someone to throw in as a cheap flyer if uh, if Shark isn't there or if he if he's banged up. Keep monitoring that over the next day day and a half. As we move along to Rams Cardinals, Rams are a three point favorite uh, against the Cardinals over under, and this is forty eight and a half. Uh, Rams fan, but man, I love this spot against the Rams last week. They were coming off the big win the week before. They don't match up very well with the 49ers. The 49ers were coming off the bye. They were getting back healthy. It just was a, a recipe uh, to, to to beat the Rams. Now the Rams are are going to uh, try to bounce back against the the Cardinals. And you just mentioned. Minnesota. I mean, this is a massive game for a Cardinals team that is only one game up on Minnesota for the final playoff spot. And Kyler Murray has been a little banged up the last couple of weeks. He has not been running as much. He has not looked as good. And when you, you know, when you go through this team and you start to break them down game by game by game, they beat the Bills on a Hail Mary. They had a last second field goal win in a game that they did not lead the game at any point until kicking the winning field goal. There were a couple games that they could have lost early that they didn't, um, and the I I trust and I like Kyler and he's better than I thought he was going to be. He's excellent and and a healthy Kyler is capable, I think, of beating any team in in a one game scenario and and taking you down and getting a game winning drive. I, I don't know if he's healthy. One and two, I do not trust Cliff Kingsbury at all. Uh, I, I just as a decision making coach, yeah. he's terrible. As a play caller. And uh, a play designer And like between the 20s he's really good Sean McVay has a little bit of this in him too I think Sean's uh, still better But like last week is just a coaching mi- You got Belichick against Cl- uh, Cliffy It was just like coaching malpractice there right. With those two um, I, I, I still don't know if I could go to the Rams At minus three it, it, The line feels uh, like right there It's moved a little bit I think a lot of this has to do with you know, Kyler, what version of Kyler are we going to see? So at uh, at Rams, at Arizona, minus three, over-under is around 48. Let's see, Rams are seven and four, six and five against the spread. Arizona, six and five, five and six against the spread. This is a big game for both teams. You have the Rams who are, they have the top, the half game up and own the tiebreaker against the Buccaneers for the top wild card spot. But they're also a battle in Seattle. They're one game back for Seattle. And I believe they have, they still have to play each other one more time, correct? Yep. So, I mean, that's that's big. So, this is a big game for them. Like you said, big game for the Cardinals. They're up one on the Vikings, 49ers, and Bears for that last spot. It's going to be interesting. Defensively, this game, everyone's focusing on the offense for both reasons with these teams. But for me, are the Rams only going to rush two like Belichick did? 
are the Cardinals going to be able to get pressure in Goff's face? When I look at this game, those are the two biggest questions. Defensively, how the defense is going to play. Obviously, Murray is hurt. Since this is such a big game, they're going to shoot that shoulder up with as many painkillers as they possibly yeah. can. Yeah. Um, I think this is going to have like a kind of like that playoff type game feel to it. I, I it agree. Is it does feel like such that. a big game. Right now, the over under for the first half is at 23 and a half. In games like this, what I like to do is I like to wait for the over-under to get to 24 because that's such a key number. If it gets to 24, what I like to do is I like to bet the under of 24 total points first half and then bet that in the second half the teams are going to open it up more. Then I bet the prop more points scored second half than first half. So that's kind of my strategy with this game. But right now all my books have it at 23, so I'm kind of sitting it out right now. Yeah, the Rams... In the last eight games, they've scored 30 points or less. Uh, they're three and three in their last six, and they've only been averaging 21.2 points per game in that stretch. So, you know, you think about the Rams with a high scoring and high flying attack. This year for them, it's been a very talented defense because they were so skilled at some of the key defensive positions on the front and then in the in the coverage spot with Ramsey back there. So uh, I, this is a fascinating game to me, and I really don't have a strong opinion one way or the other. Just a, a massive game for both of these teams coming. And off the Rams of got some weapons too. Like I, I really feel like I've been a huge Acres guy. I thought la- I, I know he's been hurt, and that's why he hasn't been able to get on the field. But I thought last week against the 49ers, and I was on the 49ers too. I thought. He looked way more explosive yep. running than the Henderson did, and also Josh Reynolds. I mean, he's he played ninety eight percent of the snaps last week. I think he since most of the defenses funnel obviously funnel their coverage to Woods and Cup. I think they need to pepper Reynolds a lot more moving forward because he's sneaky talented too. Agree. Higby was excellent last year. They haven't gotten Higby into the mix as much too. So there are other weapons that the the Rams can use. And uh, game, I'm really looking forward to to watching this week. We have, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I think it's seven and twenty one as a, against the spread as a starter. Colt McCoy has the worst against the spread numbers as a quarter NFL quarterback starter with that sort of a sample size, and he will be the QB for the Giants. This week and they're going to be playing Against the the Seahawks So the this game is up To 10 Seattle is a 10 point favorite At home the Giants have to come play at Seattle total in this one is around 47 or or so uh, Seattle with uh, You know they, they won and I wouldn't Say a big win they just every game Against the uh, the East seems a little bit Ugly and they have another East opponent uh, NFC East opponent to deal with in here And I mean, every one of these games for the Giants, for the Eagles, for the Washington football team are huge because they're all going to be underdogs in most of these games that are not, you know, that are non-divisional games. So anytime any one of them can just snatch a win somewhere, it's huge. (laughs) Oh, I know. And it's just, I, this division is just mind boggling to me. And I mean, look at all the teams and for the Giants. Because they were starting to play pretty well Like their defense had gotten better They were starting to play better But now you're missing Daniel Jones Who had kind of started to clean things up a little bit too Yeah, but they they also fired their offensive offensive line coach Their offensive yeah. line started, started blocking better getting Setting up more holes for Gelman who's, Gelman's actually been playing well He's been yes. good numbers Yeah. Um, defensively, this team is insanely underrated And James Bradbury is one of the most underrated 
DBs in the league. I think he's going to be able to match up well with DK. I wouldn't say shut him down, but do way better job than Slay will. And historically, when this is one of those Seahawks spots where you think to yourself, okay, they're going to cruise, they're going to win, but it's a close game to the fourth quarter. Then Wilson leads them down, gets a late touchdown, and they win it. Like, because you look at the Seahawks schedule, I mean, they have the Giants, Jets, Washington, Rams. That's like three kind of games. I think they're just going to kind of coast by. And with how bad Seattle's defense is, there is no way you can lay a number. I mean, there was no, I'll admit it, I had the Eagles plus a six and a half on Monday night. There was no way the Eagles should have covered that game with how bad offensively they looked. But since the Seahawks defense is so awful, they gave up the Hail Mary and the two-point conversion at the end of the game. I have zero confidence ever laying points with the Seahawks. I agree. I mean, the line's kind of forcing me to to bet the Giants. Yeah. Excuse me. No, and they're a team that I like to play in situations where, like, they might be on the road as as a pick or, like, as a small dog, you know, with with Russ, with knowing that Russ can win a game for you. It just – I don't see – why they have to cover this game by 10 Just like you said I just don't know what their incentive is to win this game by 11 You know, or, I mean or, they're just trying to keep healthy Exactly When just trying to... Giants can get a late like garbage time cover to, like, I just I, could, I couldn't Probably not going to play the, I probably won't play it But I definitely couldn't play Seattle I'd be, I'd be leaning on the, the Giants side No doubt They're 4-7, and 7-4 seven, seven and four against the spread Seattle is 8-3, and 6-5 and five against the spread we move along to the Packers versus the Eagles, and man, my how the uh, the Eagles have have fallen. The Packers are an eight and a half point favorite here, so the they're the home team. Over under in this game, 47 and a half, 48 in some spots. I mean, it feels like twenty years ago when the Eagles won the Super Bowl, and not just a few. The coaching staff has not looked really the same since Reich left, and Wentz. I mean, this year. He has been so so bad. I know they're banged up. I know they miss. They've been missing a lot of uh, weapons and stuff. He has been horrible. I mean, I don't. I don't think Green Bay is necessarily a world beater either. They have plenty of issues themselves on the defensive side of the ball. I, I don't know how strong they are, but I just, man, from a just a pure a pure disappointment in a football team. Like, how easy would it have been for Philly to just have a three or four game lead in this division this year? Oh, I mean, they've they've been awful. They've been awful, but this is the situation as a better that I look for and I love. You have they, two they teams. just came off a Monday night game yep. too, where they looked horrible. Everybody saw them look horrible, the and everyone saw the Packers look good in the primetime game on Sunday against the uh, the Bears. So I mean, this I is, hate laying I hate laying points with the just yeah. like we were saying with the Seahawks. I hate laying big points with the Packers. Anything over a touchdown like this. Oh, I love. I love the Eagles in this spot just because a there's some key secondary issue secondary injuries with the Packers like Alexander is their best corner is hurt they struggle against the run when and I just want to know when when is Peterson when is the light going to go off that says hey I'm only giving Miles Sanders who's my most explosive player by far 15 touches a game I need he needs to be Beat between him. 20 and 25 have it be the screen game, draws, whatever. He's not touching the ball enough. And this situation, it was a couple years ago. Hell, it may have been the year where they won the Super Bowl. Eagles were 0-3. All this talk about them going 0-4. 
They go into Green Bay. It was a Thursday night game. I think they're catching six and a half or seven. They straight up win. I love this. Does feel like a win. This does feel like a game they're going to win because they have a they got a tough schedule coming up too, and they this I know this this is like one of those weird tricky games, and you're getting a few points already built in because in just the last couple days the thing has gone up a couple points. Oh, I I mean I'm looking at Bet Online right now, which is one of the main books I use. It's at nine and plus three twenty. I'm definitely going to be invested in both of them just because, like you said, like. When your back's against the wall, which basically it is for the Eagles, and they looked so bad, it can only go up from here. I, but I really do feel that in order for them to win, this has to be a huge Miles Sanders game. Yeah, the thing about them that's so polarizing, too, is that they're different from other teams that are quote-unquote bad in that like some of the other bad teams, we're playing them in a spot, and we're playing them because... Um, you know the team that they're playing against had a short week or has missing player this and that like the eagles are a team that actually have ability like they have talent they just don't put it together like enough and if they do like any week if the eagles just blew out even a good team it wouldn't be that surprising because yeah. they have like the the template is there like you said you get miles sanders involved all of a sudden it makes things how much easier for carson wentz to where He's not forcing things into tight windows. The windows are more open. They've got some playmakers on the defensive side of the ball. Like they shouldn't be this bad of a team. So the whenever they're a huge dog like this, it's it's hard to look away. And I can never play Green Bay in this situation at all. Even even how bad Philly has looked because it's there still. They still can 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 beat a team like Green Bay. And you can't really say that for a lot of the the. Other bad bad teams in the league Plus they're getting Zach Ertz back So that's another weapon So they have Ertz, Dallas Galler, Galler Who I think is Their best receiver, he's a matchup nightmare I mean they're getting pieces back Packers are bad Against the run, banged up Secondary, I mean I just You just gotta take the Eagles here, I'll straight up to win And plus the points We move along to the Chargers and the Patriots. Talk about a coaching mismatch last week with the Patriots and the the Cardinals. We got one here with the the Patriots and the Chargers. This game is at a pick'em right now. Chargers are the home team here, and the total is 47 47-47.5. Eric, what the hell were the Chargers doing last week? Oh, my God. Just just the— even at the end of the game, you're, you're not going to win this game. You complete a Hail Mary. You have no timeouts left. All you have, you get in the end zone or you just throw a, you spike the ball. You, you throw a pass, period. You spike it, stop the clock, or you drop back and throw a fade. So that way, it, if it's incomplete, you get the clock stopped and you got a couple chances to get in the end zone, get an onside kick. They ran the ball. Oh my god! I, I don't think I've ever seen anything that stupid. I mean, to be honest, I, I, Anthony Lynn. I watched Hard Knocks. He came off like such a great guy, and he, he, and I think that's why he's he's gotten opportunities to be a head coach because he he seems like a really good guy. But he didn't even know what to say when he was asked about it after. He kept I, I don't know. They asked him why we did. It. I, I, I I don't I don't know. I mean, it's it's gotten really out of hand for this team. And I was livid because. I was perfect at the 12 o'clock games. And my last my last play in the 12 o'clock game with Chargers plus four and a half. Herbert hits that Hail Mary. I'm thinking, okay, jump on Mike Williams. We get this home. Yeah. I'm like, what are you doing? And the thing that Lynn has done, now granted, every 
complete polar opposite than Patricia. No one says a bad word with him. Great guy, yeah. everything. But he's kind of built that culture of losing. Yes. And they just can't win these games. And for a young quarterback, that's a pretty big thing. If you, you gotta don't get it out learn of right now. how to right win. Now. You can't and let it go any farther. You don't no. want to give him another year of that. It's, mm-hmm. it's actually, I mean, thinking about it makes me more impressed with Herbert. That he's yeah. doing this with an Anthony Lynn head coach, you know, and they've started just kind of like letting him throw the ball. And now they've got Eckler back, who's a weapon. It's just what's so frustrating about this team is every one of those games is like a one score, one possession game. Um, and they find and create ways to lose a missed field goal, sort of a just bonehead play after bonehead play and time management I, skills. I mean, it's just. They're yeah, they three and eight. It. They could easily be eight and three, seven and four. And the thing is, is like, okay, you figure Chargers, Jets, Jags, Lions, Texans, Broncos, Bears, off the top of my head, those teams are going to be the teams looking for the new coaching. By far, this is the team that you want to coach. They have Absolutely. a young quarterback, good offensive line, Bosa, Ingram, Murray, a young linebacker. The Weapon. talent level, this team, Eckler, Allen, Mike Williams, who I think is the best jump ball catcher in the NFL. Hunter is a good tight end. Oh yeah. yeah. The wet the, by if I'm the enemy, everyone's talking about Texans. No, no, no. I want to go to the Chargers. Like Absolutely. this team is set up to win right now. And I mean, I'm I'm in my office right now. I have my little what's it called? My um I have my whiteboard I walk right on. Top of the thing in big letters is don't bet on the Chargers for the rest of the year. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I can't bet on them. They have way too many questions. So now I look at the Patriots. With the Patriots, Cam has not looked the same since COVID-19. No. COVID-19 has completely changed. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know because I don't talk to him. I, don't, I have no connection with him. But my eyes are telling me he's nowhere near what he was before COVID-19, before he got it back in. Um, he just doesn't move. He doesn't. It, it, no, he he's not moving he slower, everything. And and he he's missing all. like the throws that he's missing. He wasn't he wasn't missing those players earlier in the year. He's never been a quarterback that would anybody would say was the most accurate quarterback in the league, but he has a strong arm and I don't think I think when he has his good games and when he's good, he's more accurate than people think. But I have to say the last few weeks he has been Atrocious I mean he's missing Guys wide open he single Handedly should have lost he's Already lost them a game when he turned the ball over Against the bills when they were driving and they could have beat Him earlier in the year and he Basically I mean he should have lost them the game Last week (laughs) they don't lose Because Gonzalez can't hit a 45 Yard field goal and then they get the opportunity To go down and kick a field goal with great Field position so he has a suspect Flag too that gave him in the position Too oh I know so yeah, I just I don't really have a feel for either team. I don't want to back either team in this spot. You, um, I, you can't with confidence. I mean, yeah. for me, this is a pure just stay away. I know Belichick against a rookie quarterback, Herbert's going to see stuff he hasn't seen before. But I just can't. The defense isn't very what, good. Yeah, with what you see from these two teams, there's no way you can have confidence backing either one of these teams. And I'm honestly surprised Lynn still has a job. I agree, and I, I think. These are the teams that you you back in a spot, and you're and when you're not backing them, 
You know, like yeah. you're backing, you're playing against the other team, and I just don't feel like I'm really playing against or for either of these teams in this spot. As we move to the Chiefs, Broncos, and we are assuming that the Broncos will have their quarterbacks back. This game is in Kansas City. The Chiefs are a 14 point favorite. The total in this one is 50. I think it's up to 51, 50, between 50 and 51, uh, depending on where you look. Denver is four and seven, six and five against the spread. Kansas City, 10 and one, six and five against the spread. What's important for both the uh, Kansas City and Pittsburgh in the situation this year is that, you know, Pittsburgh can't really get, you can't really play it safe because they've got Kansas City chasing them. And both of these teams want to be the number one seed and get that by because there's only going to be one team in each conference that gets the buy this year. So I don't, and, and I don't know what to do with the Denver with Denver coming off of the with their their quarterbacks. I would I would 100% be leaning on the Denver side, especially at 14. If it got up to 14 and a half, that's just a ton. But I we're gonna have to see what happens with this team. And um, I, I'm they just got their tours blown off last week. It's just it, it, this is a situation where I would play the Denver side. I just don't think I could lean KC at, at 14. I mean, I'm I. I I was surprised Vangio and Shermer, like I said earlier, still have a job. Like, yeah. if I was Elway, I would be livid. Especially Shermer, back in the day, had a whole game where he basically ran Wildcat. So yeah. he has it in him. I mean, that was just pure laziness, them mailing it in. I would be just absolutely livid. But, like you said earlier, we as people remember the last thing that. we saw. We saw, saw them get we saw them get crushed by Hilton, the poor kid throwing yeah. one for nine and just running all yep. over the place. Remember, this isn't going to be him. This isn't going to no. be them. It's going to Locke's going to be in there. He's he's shown he can make throws, and I think he's going to have a little bit of a chip on his shoulder because he is getting caught out in the media. I've been the biggest Drew Locke supporter, but for him to not play in the game because he's not wearing, not being responsible and wearing a mask shows how immature he actually is. And I'm starting to back off of him. But, and the Chiefs are overvalued, not really overvalued because they are a great team, but they just did beat the Buccaneers at Tampa Bay. Everyone watching, Tyreek went off. Yep. I just, 14 in, That's a lot. Inner, in an interdivisional game. That's a where key this too. is the second, second game they played against each other. I mean, I'm gonna. Denver's defense is still good. They're good enough to slow Kansas City down enough for this to be a 17 point game, and Denver can score late. I mean, I know, like, I know what the way I bet. Like right now, the first half line is at seven. If it's at seven or over, I'm definitely going to be on the Broncos, and I'm probably going to be on the Broncos for the full game too, just because it's second game, interdivisional game. Broncos defense is better than people realize. They can get to the quarterback. And Locke can throw over the top. And Casey's DBs have a little trouble, as Derek Carr has exposed, defending the deep ball. Yeah, I, I'm more uh, Denver side, no doubt about it. Four and seven, six and five against the spread. KC, 10 and one, six and five against the spread as we move along to. So this that was your Sunday night game. This week, we're going to have two Monday games and then a Tuesday game. So the, the Monday games uh, for... Isn't it funny too? Like Pittsburgh uh, got screwed a little bit here because they had to play Wednesday and they're playing Monday, so not a normal week. 
And it wasn't really their fault what happened because there was the Ravens players and the Ravens that didn't really follow protocols and they and and they got pushed back. It's it stinks when the team like Pittsburgh who didn't like this happened earlier in the year with the Bills. You know, the Bills got screwed because the Titans game and that they kept pushing the Titans back and then the Bills had to play the Titans later in the week and then they had to play Kansas City and both of those games got bumped. So I don't know if this is gonna be the easiest spot for Pittsburgh here. With a, a good defense from Washington Pittsburgh on a weird short Week with all this stuff happening for them They just played on a Wednesday Now they're playing on uh, A Monday early in the day they're, It's going to be two A 5 Eastern game here um, Another situation where like They've got that undefeated thing Going where we see this Happen to teams once you get to like 7-8 where like Anybody can take you to the limit and you know because it's like you're supposed to lose at some point. It doesn't really matter to who. I don't. I don't know if they're going to lose this game, but I don't. It's kind of like the situations we talked about with some of these other big favorites. I don't know if Pittsburgh cares winning this game by ten. Uh, I do feel like you may have lost a little bit of value in it if you wanted to play Washington because you probably could have got a better number before than you'll get now. Total in this is forty two and a half. Um, I just. I don't think I could. I could play the the Pittsburgh side in here. I am going to call it right now. Steelers are losing this game straight up. Yeah. Um, this kind of feels like it, right? They just beat the Ravens. I mean, big rivalry game. Also, I mean, they basically have locked up the North unless something crazy happens. And also, you have to remember, who do they have next week? They have the Bills. The Bills were the team that knocked them out of the playoffs in that Sunday night game last year. So this is a great spot to catch a Pittsburgh team. In a flat situation. Now you look at Washington. What does Washington do best? It's their defensive line and getting to the quarterback, wreaking havoc and creating pressure. The Steelers, they have open offensive line issues, and Pouncey is not going to be playing this game. And Pouncey is the key to that offensive line. So that is a huge matchup advantage for the Washington football team. And Alex Smith, he's a game manager. He's, he's not going to make dumb well, throws. Yeah. He's going to manage the game. He's not going to turn over the ball. Antonio Gibson is getting it going. He's looking a lot better running. You got J.D. McKisson out of the backfield catching it. They play both of them at the same time. And then you got um, the two Sims. They're not brothers, but the two Sims kids. And you got Scary Terry. I mean, they They got weapons offensive. They're set up. Yeah, Yeah, they are. I mean, I think I legitimately think Washington is going to go into Pittsburgh and they're going to win this game straight up. I'm going to be on. I'm going to take them plus the eight and a half. There's no money line on any of my books yet, but I'm going to be invested in the money line too. Oh, over under 42, 42 and a half. I'm seeing. I think it keeps going down. Uh, it's it's going down right now. It was a little higher earlier in the week, so um, you might be able to find a different fluctuation of numbers on that one. Washington four and seven, six and five against the spread. The Steelers eleven and zero and eight and three against the spread. As we move to our final two games, so this is the actual Monday night game. It's Buffalo. Versus the 49ers But if there wasn't enough crazy COVID stuff happening last week Eric We've got the 49ers now That aren't even allowed to play in their home stadium no. <laughs> they, They're they having to move to Arizona To play their home games there recently For the, or for the, up, the near future And if for some reason San Francisco were to get hot And they're not too far out of the playoffs 
They would probably not be able to have a playoff They would probably not be able to go home for a while Because before they come back to California They're going to have to quarantine So they're basically yep. just like, out on the road In Arizona and then traveling To wherever they go uh, It would be a really strange situation If they and the Cardinals made the playoffs Or one of, or if they I, I mean, it's just a lot to think about uh, Yeah, I mean, but that's With this season, <laughs> it's basically like Whichever Team can adapt and I really I think the 49ers like their Defensive coordinator um, I'm Spacing yeah I mean You hear nothing about Good things about this guy And also like they are Missing Bosa and this defense Is incredible so I mean He's able to coach And lead these games so I think with the defense They're going to be able to Stay in games That they shouldn't have Offensively, I mean, you know, they, they're they lacking the most important position, the quarterback. But yeah. in terms of this game, this is one of the situations where you just can't outthink the room. You have the Bills. The Bills, they play the Steelers next week. Huge look-ahead spot. What do the Bills struggle with? Defending the run. 26 worst defense versus the run. What is the 49ers' strength? Running the ball. I mean, this is strength against weakness. So, in my eyes, I'm going to trust that Salem's going to be Salem's going to be able to put up a defensive screen defensive scheme that's going to keep Diggs in check force Allen, Allen to make up. passes yeah force Allen to make passes because he's a good runner but he's not that good of a passer and then just pound the ball with the run this Bills team reminds me of that 2015 Carolina Panthers team with Cam Newton where you kind of had the blueprint to beat them they just won all these close games and then you know they can be exposed easily if that makes sense. Yeah, Brown is a key key for them too. Like you don't think of like John Brown as being like a difference maker, but keep an eye on him is because when they miss him, it's just yeah. they they have the pieces all set up nicely, and when they're missing one uh, one or two of their pieces, they're not good enough to 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 have that margin of error. So but, this is but a to game. go to go on in that what you're saying and which I which I totally agree with is. That means Cole Beasley gets bumped up yep. from the slot to the outside, the two. Where he's much that better in the slot. Yep, yeah, but that also, that means, like, when you get bumped up like that, you're not going to be facing the slot corner. Mm-hmm. You're facing the team's number two corner. Or you ain't getting if, open. Yeah, and some corners, like, they just play, they just play sides. So there's going to be some formation where you're facing the top corner on the team. So immediately... Everyone's like, oh, Cole Beasley in fantasy, Cole Beasley in fantasy. Well, he's going to be playing against better cover people. So actually his value is decreasing. The line in this game has been moving quite a bit. I think it's a it's at San Francisco. Uh, it's at like a pick em or so yeah, it's right at a now. pick em right now. In my this book. has moved for just a couple points in the last couple days or so. So the money is moving towards San Francisco, five and six, five and six against the spread. Bills, eight and three, six and five against the spread. Uh, we move to the final game on week 13 And this game is going to go on Tuesday We have, uh, I think we have a lineup now for it It, it was, rave. I, I'm seeing 7 uh, Baltimore around 7 or so uh, The over-unders aren't up And we don't have to really spend a whole lot of t- time on this game On the numbers But more so on just the teams um, Dallas is 3-8 and 2-9 and nine against the spread Baltimore 6-5, and 5-6 five, five and six against the spread Baltimore coming off of a game Where they actually played really well without Lamar Without a lot of their pieces in a rivalry game That went back and forth um, And I mean Baltimore right now is not in the playoff picture 
But if you look at their schedule They have a pretty soft schedule coming up over the next few weeks They can easily get right back into it I just This is a game that I'm Especially this early on When we're talking about it on Thursday With a few days to come And all the COVID stuff with Baltimore I don't really have an opinion one way or the other But a situation where I wouldn't want to be laying more than a touchdown On a team who's not really been firing on all cylinders Throughout the year And now has the COVID stuff to deal with Dallas I don't really love in this spot either But I, I don't know I just Not a whole lot for me on this game I mean I Well first of all This was the few the first future this year I cashed was Ravens under 11 and a half. So that was, yeah, you were all over I mean, that. that was, yeah. So that was big. Um, they, I mean, their backs against the wall. They can't lose another game. Anything over seven in my head, it's a buy. You may be able to get some value if Lamar doesn't play. Cause you have to remember football's one in the trenches. Dallas has some key injuries at the offensive line with the offensive line like that. They're not opening up the holes for Zeke and Zeke is way less explosive and not finding any holes at all and not bursting for, through the hole, through the running lane. Um, and Dalton is just not, Dalton just can't process stuff as fast as he used to. And the Ravens are going to force some turnovers. I mean, even if Trace McSorley starts because, which is a possibility because Griffin got banged up a little bit and Lamar, God only knows with this COVID stuff, he's, if he's going to play or not. I mean, if Trace plays and this number gets down to a four or a five, I would easily I'd easy to easily take it with Baltimore. Week thirteen in the NFL. Let's uh, kind of recap it. Some of the games that I'm looking at. Um, I'm looking at the Lions. If you can get, you know, especially plus three and a half. That's that's the number. But three is fine. Um, I thought like the Falcons. It's similar. You know, three is that key number for me there. If I can get the Falcons plus the three, I'll take it. Um, I'm probably going to go to the Jets if I can get around. Like at. At nine, probably maybe at ten, uh, the Browns is my game of the week, and I think you and I are both really high on that one. I love the Browns, so look for the best number you can find for the Browns, and uh, I definitely play that money line, and I'm fine with playing those first two, Atlanta and Lions, a little money line too. I'm looking at the Jags plus ten and a half, and um, yeah, those are those are the ones I'm the most intrigued by early on. I like Lions, Falcons, Eagles, Browns. And Browns by far is the top one And the Washington football team Yeah I'll give a look to the Broncos too If that number stays around 14 And if we know Locks back And and it might even go up more You know people I don't know who later in the week Is going to be playing Denver People just love to play the chalk with with Kansas City So that could go up uh, even Especially because it's a Sunday night game yeah, you're right. And end of the day, that like late in the day, it moves even more. So everybody trying to get get even, and they want to get even with the chalk there. So, Eric, man, this was awesome. Uh, a ton of fun, like always. So let everybody know out there where we can find you. You do a great job with your podcast. You're a great follow on social media, Twitter, Instagram, where you're posting what with. Stuff uh, information while you're following the games That you bet you're posting a lot of your Plays here and there you're posting um, Just sports Information you know every day you'll post the, the Five things or things that you uh, that you Noticed from the day before or important things Going on in the world of sports let everybody Know where can we follow you out there you can Follow me at etoff 21 Sports on Twitter Instagram and TikTok I have a website etoff 21 I'll put out my power rankings right little Blog pieces and then my podcast Comes out Monday and Saturdays 
crazy that we're already on to week 13 of the NFL. Uh, thank you, though, uh, a bunch, man. I, we had, I had you on a little, you know, last year and some years, but this year definitely uh, feel like we've gotten a, a lot closer. You've helped out a ton in so many different ways, and uh, all the listeners are always very happy when you're on because you help them make some money. So thanks again, buddy. Oh, anytime you need me, just let me know, man. Always a pleasure to come on. You know how to follow him out there on social media. Do not go anywhere, folks. We have plenty left on this episode of That's What G Said. Great stuff from Eric, as always. Make sure to give a follow to him on social media. Check out his podcast. And a real sharp gambler, real sharp handicapper there. We're going to have him back quite often on That's What G Said. Holiday season is upon us, folks. We are looking around, trying to find gifts for everyone. I got the perfect gift for you. A candle. SarahCandles.com C-E-R-A Candles.com And these aren't just any candle These are all natural soy wax candles They're better for you None of those toxins, those carcinogens, those pollutants That are found in all of the other leading brands That uh, use that different wax Not the soy wax Which is much better for you This is a a local small business that loves candles They wanted to create the perfect candle uh, Family that I've known for 25 plus years Now, they actually will set it up for you perfectly. They have the holiday candle box. In the holiday candle box, for $20, you get one 5-ounce Christmas morning candle that's festive green, one 5-ounce cranberry Christmas candle that's vibrant red, and these are those soy wax candles. They're better for you. They're going to burn longer, estimated 20 to 30 hours Burning they even give you instructions On how to keep your candle clean and make Sure you have the perfect burn and When you use the promo code G-I-N-O 10% Off your purchase here they have 25 different scents maybe you don't want uh, A holiday scent or maybe you want a Holiday scent for the next couple weeks the next month Or two and then you want a different scents For some of the different family members you're going to Purchase for 25 different options Three different sizes Seasonal scent Scent for any mood Any time I love the Fresh Roses one Myself Promo code G-I-N-O Gets you 10% off your purchase If you love candles And you're listening to this Or maybe your wife Or your husband Or your friend Or someone you know Loves candles Direct them to Sarah Candles Have them try these Just one time I promise They will get Sarah Candles Every time they are not the type of candle that punches you in the face with the scent It's it's strong enough, but it's not overpowering And it's a better, longer burn and a healthier burn SarahCandles.com C-E-R-A Candles.com Promo code G-I-N-O Gets you 10% off your purchase Let's get into some horse racing for the weekend And what is the schedule for Stable Duel For those of us who love to play in these Stable Duel contests They are daily horse racing contests that you can get involved in for as little as $5 And all the way up to big contests that they have for 100 is usually the max This weekend, so many different options So what you have to do first, go download the Stable Duel app On your phone, on your iPad, and create your stable, and then you can get involved in different contests. All you have to do to create a stable is really create a, a name, a stable name. So Friday, they have a contest at Tampa. It's a $25 entry. It's a triple up, and there's a $100 bonus to the winner. There's a $10 contest at Laurel Park. There's a $50 Gulfstream Park contest. It's the Gulfstream Kickoff Series. This is opening week at Gulfstream. So Stable Duel will put 50% of this Friday pool 
Along with pools from Wednesday and Thursday Into the game for Saturday If you win this Gulfstream Friday contest You also get a $100 game credit for Saturday Which means you're getting free entry Into the Saturday contest So on Saturday The big one is the $100 Gulfstream contest With 50% matched from the pools Earlier in the week Going to be a massive pool if you're if you don't want to get involved in that, maybe the hundred dollar entry is a little bit too much for that one because it's a hundred dollars. There's a five dollar contest at Charlestown. There's a ten dollar Laurel Triple Up and a twenty five dollar Tampa Top Ten. Then on Sunday, there's a ten dollar Gulfstream. There's a fifty dollar Gulfstream Triple Up with a hundred dollar bonus to the winner, and there's a free contest at Laurel. So maybe you're thinking, ah, I'm, I've heard about this, but I've never played. I don't know. I don't want to spend a whole lot of money. Okay, you don't have to. There's a free contest on Sunday at Laurel So handicap over the weekend for that Sunday Contest, the free contest And you can give it a try See if you like it, see if it's something worth uh, Putting some money into, I promise you It is, so just This weekend alone Tampa, Laurel, Gulfstream Penn National Charlestown, free contest Contest from Five all the way up to A hundred, we've got triple ups We've got top tens We've got regular formatted contest And a free ride Not more of a variety Possible than uh, what you're getting Offered there from Stable Duel and so let's get into the weekend And let's get into Friday at Gulfstream Park I'm going to roll through the Friday Gulfstream card Kind of give you some thoughts on each race as we move Through some horses that I would Be interested in using in Stable Duel Other horses who I'm playing against In race number one I'm looking to the 10 compiler I think he'll get bet down a little bit for Wesley Ward This guy was bumped around on both sides At the start in his most recent race And he got up to second To press before faltering That was going a mile on the turf Now he's going to come back to five furlongs He takes another little drop in class And he puts two starts together for the first time So you're going second off the bench Drops, cutting back, not facing a tough group Comes out of a race where he had some trouble He's really had trouble early in both But he can sit and he has enough tactical speed I think to stay close in here and he just comes out of a productive race With the, the runner-up winning next out Compiler, make sure to throw him In the early pick five, I will use him In some stable dual spots, the seven champion Up, damn one on the turf And you just don't have to be a monster To beat a group like this for a barn that's capable First time out of the box uh, The four, market development Has a winning turf sib And is a half to a, a horse named Sueno Not a bad little pedigree for just a 25 maiden claimer here in uh, the opener at Gulfstream I like the 10, 10, 7, 4 In race number 1 for me Moving on to race number 2 I gave a look in here to the 11 Riches Rags I don't even, We really don't know how good he is I just feel like he's a lot better than what he's shown us so far On October the 24th at Gulfstream West He broke right on top He pressed from the 2 path and Then he was in between horses He pulled right up on even terms With El Grand Pichon and then he faded That was Rich's Rag's first start Since August 23rd of 2019 So it had been 14 months For Rich's Rag since he had run He showed some speed He faded that day I think the outside draw Will give him a little more of an opportunity To, to press and sit off I don't think he's a need the lead type horse And honestly this is not a strong group If he's got any Any bit of the ability That he he had once had that made him a $285,000 purchase And if he's got anything left at all Even even with the speed he just showed he, This is probably going to be the best race we get from him 
So we'll find out uh, the best ways that we've seen from him right here with Rich's rags. So we'll find out, I think, pretty early. He doesn't have to be on the lead, but if he's well out of it, we're probably in some trouble. I- I'm just expecting a really good effort from Rich's rags way outside today. Gulfstream Park race number three, seven and a half furlongs on the turf course in here. Cherokee Sound is a lot better than her last two would represent. I think she's a horse you want to use in some of your exotics. Cactus Kitten is very obvious. Um, Antigone getting back to the grass. Galileo's Ballerina is another in here I would look at. So a lot of different directions you could go in race number three at Gulfstream Park. In the fourth race, uh, I give a look to the seven uncaptured king in here. So, he drew the rail last time out. Completely missed the break. Then he was in tight immediately. He was shuffled. He was in a bad spot. And he came running late. He gets off the rail. He cuts back. And he catches a lot of early pace in here. I think this is going to set up really nicely for him to, to sit off the pace. Take back, one, make one late run. You get Cairo campaign to the inside with some speed. Dream Dioro's got a little pace. You know, one fast is going to go. Bon Prix probably wants to go. So, I'm going to go... Uncaptured King on top, I'll use the 7 And then the 5, Bon Prix We'll be using uh, along with in all Of the exotics We're up to race number 5 now And uh, I'm going to go take a look at the 5 Pearl Scent Pearl Essent So she's a lightly raced 3 year old And she's faced better in all 3 of her career starts She hooked a loaded group In her career debut In a race that produced 3 next out winners Sweet Melania is a multiple graded stakes winner Actually she wasn't a next out winner But she's a multiple graded stakes winner And she was third in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies Turf Morning Gold One next out out of there And Lucky Jingle is stakes placed One out of that race And has come back to be stakes placed Pearlescent faced Maiden Special Weights in that race at Saratoga and was only 4-1. to one. Came back at Gulfstream Park faced Maiden Specials. And then last time out, switches barns, hooks a sloppy racetrack in September. We really don't know much about her. At all. And she's at Maiden 20 now. She gets back to the grass. Her debut race on the grass when finishing 4th was not bad. We just really don't know how good she is. If she has any of that form left at all, she's going to be right there with this group. And she should offer you a very nice value. I think she's the type of horse who will probably get bet down. So she's a great horse at a really big price to use in the stable duel situation because at 15 to 1, she costs you nothing to use. So Pearl Essent, the six truly super logical horse that you're probably going to be wanting to use along with in some of your pick fives, the 11 Camellia Gal also. That's why this race feels kind of prime to take a, a swing You have some horses who are consistent at the level But they've shown they don't really want to win They don't have that killer win stinct Take a little swing here with Pearl Essent Anything around like 6-1 to one or so seems fair So for me that that line is a, is a little bit off In race number 6 I'm looking at X-Top Who just feels like the one they all have to beat in here I'm not really telling you anything you don't know He won the battle for second after a pretty brutal trip on November the 21st He was squeezed back At the start, he was last early And he had to move in between horses Through traffic, he got all the way up to third And he was in the clear, but the winner Had already snuck away and the winner was A wire to wire winner that day So the race shape was against X-Top With that slow beginning I think you'll probably see him sitting a lot closer He feels like the one they'll all have to beat In here that's the number 8 in race number 6 That's probably a race where I, I don't mind spending up a little bit In a stable duel scenario 
Seventh race, couple horses I look at in here The five, Light Fury Who goes with him early on? I, I just don't know if anybody has the type of speed that he has So I think he's the one to catch in here And I'd imagine the six, Clark is going to be sitting As close as he can possibly The plan for Light Fury should be Let's send hard Play come and catch me Wire to field, sat just off going a mile But I just don't think there's anybody else in here That should be within a length or two early on So Light Fury will be the play for me I'm going to use along with the number 6 In all of your exotics there That's race number 7 at Gulfstream on Friday We move along to race number 8 I'm looking at the 6 in here Palladio who has just drawn well to sit a great trip uh, the Warriors Pride's got some speed Carson City Kids got some speed The Ice Beast I'd imagine Is, is going to be at least pressing close to it And Tiger's got speed Feels like it should set up very nicely for Palladio To just track off of the speeds In here In race number 9 uh, This is one that feels like you can go in many directions You, you kind of have the, the 5 And the 1 are The proven Multiple winning horses that are the the veteran types that are the the ones they'll have to beat. But I think there are a couple with some upside here that may be more intriguing horses to bet, like the two threshold, who is lightly raced with some upside. He has legitimate excuses for his three poor performances. You give a look to uh, Maya Manoy, the eight. Look at some of his losses: proven strategies, field pass, field pass, instructor. That's top-notch company Jolting Joe feels like He's just coming out of some of the best races And he's going to be really tough in here On just a class perspective So I have 2, 4, and 8 As the horses I'm most interested in playing The 1 and the 5 are very logical I probably won't completely dismiss them From all of the exotics But there are are a couple horses I liked a little more in the 2, 4, and 8 Than uh, feel like you get a little more upside with them Moving on to the 10th race For Friday It is the 4 for me, Super Jaguar Just another case, another instance of Who goes with this horse early On paper There is just nobody That's even close to as fast as him He didn't get the lead last time out They went way quicker than they'll have to go to a a half mile here Last time we saw him win He wired a group on the dirt He's not a monster. He doesn't, he's not a wind machine. This is sort of what happens with his running style. He's, you know, quick and fade. If he can just settle down and relax a little bit, now he's entering a newborn who's excellent with small numbers and some limited numbers with their new acquisitions, though. Barn's been rolling along through 2020. The four Super Jaguar is the play for me. I'm also going to be using the 12. Some of the exotics let's play hardball That's the one to beat you know. So as far as exactus tries supers It's hard to, to keep him out of the mix The number 8 spinning kitten Should I, He's on the upswing right He's on the improve and I think He won't have any issue when When they get late here Can he stay within range The 5 Another one I'll, I'll probably throw into uh, Some exotics 4-12-8 for me uh, 412.85 is how I have them stacked For race number 10 at Gulfstream Park So that's your Gulfstream Park Friday Remember to get involved in the Stable Duel Contest in the Gulfstream Park Kickoff Series That Gulfstream entry fee For Friday is $50 And Stable Duel is going to match 50% 
of the pool and add that to Saturday's pool. The winner will also get a hundred dollar game credit for Saturday. So not only do you win, you win the prize money for this contest. You're also getting the hundred dollar game credit. So you get a free roll for uh, for Saturday along with your winnings. Let's get to Aqueduct for Friday. Three best plays for Friday over at Aqueduct, and uh, a couple of them are going to come early on in the card. We right away look at the the deuce in here, Gray Haze. This is a soft group, and everybody else is coming out of races that are not great. Gray Haze's races at Penn and Delaware, yeah, they may not be against the best, but they're much better races. She's got the running style where she doesn't have to be too far out of it from down inside. She's got speed. She can track just off. I think she's a must-use in your early pick fives. You're going to get a little more value on her because she's coming in from Penn and from Delaware, and people will look at those circuits and think, uh, they, they won't be able to, to keep up with this group. But this group is not a strong group. It's a 25 non-two, and we don't have horses that are in the best form. I mean, just a, a quick run through. Left leaning, left leaning Lucy just got beaten by 16 lengths last time out. Charlotte Webley was beaten by 13. Trapped in my mind was defeated by 20 plus lengths last time out. Homedale Park in running second was beaten 11 plus lengths last out. Manny Petty was beaten 18. You do have a couple horses coming off of uh, maiden wins. One of them was in finger was at Finger Lakes, and this is a nice spot for Gray Hayes, the number two. Make sure to throw. Her into your early pick five. Let's make a win wager if we can get, I think, around five to two or so. In race number two, the seven, why she do that? Debuted on November the 13th. It was a race that was rained off the grass and it ended up being a sloppy racetrack. And she just didn't run well that day. And that's fine. You have a legitimate excuse because it was a, a sloppy track. She has two winning turf sibs, so she should enjoy getting the opportunity to jump on the grass. And this is a good second time out barn. If she can sit off, she should have some pace to chase in here. Why she do number seven in race number two, anything around four to one or so feels fair on why she do that. Now keep in mind the weather this weekend uh, over at Aqueduct is probably not going to be great. So this race it has an opportunity to get taken off of the grass. I didn't want to do a, a bunch of turf races for that reason, but felt like we would uh we would give you one uh, there and we move to race number 9 for our final play on Aqueduct Friday card and I'm going to be talking about the the number 8 Tom's Choice. A little bit of a, a bomb here to take a swing with. This was the only horse in this race who has shown any bit of speed. Now, does that mean some of these horses won't be sent hard or asked more aggressively? No. But for the price that he is in a really, really weak Maiden 40 New York bred race, he's stretching out to a mile, and he's actually showed speed going five and a half furlongs on the turf and going five furlongs on the dirt, a little tactical speed. The game plan has to be send hard. When you've shown a little bit of speed sprinting, you look at this field and you see there is no other pace in here. I wouldn't want to be playing a pick four, pick five, and be closing this race without a horse like this who could have a couple lengths on the field. So if you're playing late pick fours, late pick fives, anything like that, throw the eight Tom's choice onto your tickets. The four and the nine, super logical horses in here. Uh, Others that I would uh, be including in the exotics, but the eight, Tom's choice. Throw him in the mix there. Race number nine at Aqueduct. So Friday, Aqueduct, 
three plays for me. Uh, race number one, the two, Gray Hayes. Race number two, uh, race number two, the seven. Why she do that? Race number nine, the eight, Tom's choice. Anything around ten to one on Tom, we'll make a win wager there and use him along with the the four and the nine. Let's get you to Saturday racing over at Gulfstream Park. Get those past performances out for December the 5th. And remember that big stable dual Saturday contest at Gulfstream Park. $100 entry fee. And it's going to be a big pool with some money carried over from the earlier pools throughout the week. So even if you're just going to play one big contest this weekend, this is the one that you want to play on Saturday. In race number one, Maiden Special Weights on the turf. It's claiming crown day, so it's not your typical... Gulfstream weekend card in that you're going to have a lot of claiming type horses or horses who uh, are have step are stepping up the ranks and have been in the claiming ranks at one point in the, over the last couple years then there's a couple maiden special weight races in the opener I like the 12 queen of the green if you just toss her race last time out which was a race that got taken off the turf she lost to a horse named princess theorem who came back and tried the golden rod so that's how good princess theorem was in Queen of the Green, her debut, she got hooked five wide going into the turn. She settled seventh mid-pack, about five lengths off. She was too deep, and she waited. She angled out widest of all. She had to slightly wait before doing so. She was a really nice second that day. I think if she's anything around seven to two or so, where they are making a win wager on the number 12 in race number one, Queen of the Green. Let's move along to race number two. This is the Glass Slipper. They'll go a mile in here. I'm looking at the six, Sky Chaser. Sky Chaser, last race on October the 11th at Gulfstream Park West, was behind a horse named Gibberish. Gibberish has won three in a row. Gibberish just won the $100,000 treasure chest over at Delta Downs. And Sky Chaser actually ran really well. She sat, she, she had a good start, and then she sat pretty nicely, maybe Third, four about four or five lengths off the pace. She was behind the top two. She moved inside up to second and a challenge in between horses. And she battled in between nicely all the way. I think Sky Chaser has a major, major shot in here. The number six is for me the one to beat in race number two at Gulfstream on Saturday. I thought the third race was interesting. There are Many horses you can make a case for in here Many that are alive The Chad Brown wouldn't be a shock Voter protection Easton Rocks the first timer for Pletcher Would be no surprise in here You get to the outside Fighting Force showed some ability Uh, I thought the 10 with the blinkers coming on today Is another one who could show some improvement But I'm most interested in the one Conrad the Red So He debuted on October the 21st at Gulfstream Park West. It was a race that was taken off the grass. It was in the slop. And he did not run that bad. He had a slow start down on the inside. He moved up in between horses. He was in tight. It's never easy. That's not an easy trip. First time out and in the slop. Now you add the blinkers. This guy has had four siblings to race. One of them is a winner on the turf. The dam was four for six. She never tried the turf, but she won on the synthetic and the dirt. She was great at stakes placed and a stakes winner. This guy's been working on the grass. I'm expecting a big effort from Conrad the Red, the number one. I'll make a win wager if we can get around four to one or so on Conrad the Red in race number three at Gulfstream on Saturday. We turn the page to the fourth race. It is the Express. I'm looking at the seven in here combination. Now, Christo Sky, totally respect coming out of back-to-back graded stakes races, but look at the race on July the 31st when Combination and Christo Sky faced each other. 
Combination was actually favored over Christos Sky. And Combination just... It's one of those races you put a line right through. It wasn't like he really had... He had a, a slow, not great start, but he actually recovered pretty well and was sitting in a good spot. He just didn't fire that day. He was off for a few months. He came back. He waited behind horses. He got a nice opening up the inside and won. I think Combination is uh, in a great spot here. Take another little step forward. The number seven combination for me in race number four at Gulfstream Park as we move to race number five. A couple that I look at. The three, Sweet, Yar, Indira. The ten and the nine would be the other two that I would be including. Uh, Jakarta and Thinkin' Cowtown. The... The nine thinking Cowtown is last year's winner, so a uh, horse who hasn't been in the winner's circle since that race and has had some issues to deal with this year. The three, Sweet Yarn Dira, put a line through the August 27th race, and look at how good the form is then, and, and really key off those races going five on the grass up at Woodbine. Number three, the play for me in race number five, using along with the nine and the ten. In the sixth race, the two Jesus's team just got to give a shout out to this guy. This was a twenty-five dollar, uh, twenty-five dollar, twenty-five thousand claimer earlier in the year, who has run fourth in the Haskell, second in the Pegasus Stakes, second or third in the Grade Two Jim Dandy, third in the Grade One Preakness, second in the Grade One Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile. What a honest, hard-knocking horse this guy is. I look a little elsewhere in here. I think he's going to show up like he always does. But I'm going to give Jack, uh, Dak Daniels a little shot here. Fordly placed going longer. Now he's going to cut back. Sisterson's been doing a great job with him. Tossed the Ohio Derby race. This, uh, did not get a great trip that day. And you're left with a pretty consistent horse. So give me the 7. Dak Daniels 7 to Jesus' team. If you're looking at some exotics. As we get to the Emerald in race number 7 at Gulfstream Park, it's another situation of, on paper, where is the speed in this race? I think it's Tusk. I don't know who else is quick enough to go with Tusk early. He's got the ability to sit off the pace if somebody does. And what his best running style seems best suited to win this race, whether it be right on the lead or sitting behind if somebody wants to go early and maybe take themselves out of... What their best running style is Tusk is in the mix on top for me The number 6 I give a look to horses like Temple Hieroglyphics is super sharp uh, Muggs Matic who was last year's winner And maybe ready to take a step forward Off of a, a prep setup for this one But Tusk I think has the pa- the pace and the tactical advantage In race number 7 At Gulfstream Park As we move to race number 8 The Rapid Transit I like the one uh, Avant Guard I just think the line in this one is a little bit off in here is Avant-Garde is really sharp, likes Gulfstream. The concern with me is the rail draw cutting back to seven furlongs, but it, he should be able to take back, and I don't think he's going to be so close to where he's going to end up getting the shuffle in here. So I'll use the one and the five in all exotics. The one is probably going to get bet down. I mentioned some of these horses because in Stable Duel, the contests are all based off of the morning lines. So when you're playing stable duel contest, what you are looking for is horses that you think are going to be getting bet down that you think have a chance. Because if you if there's a horse that's 10 to 1 that you say, no way, they're going to be bet down to 5 to 1 or even less than that. That's who you want because you're getting a 5 to 1 shot instead of a 10 to 1 shot. And I think uh, Avant Guard will, uh, will take some money 
in uh, in this eighth. One five for me in race number eight. Moving along to the tiara, and I will go towards the outside in here with the ten and the eleven. Irony of reality and sugar fix. They sugar fix. I is probably going to be the one they'll have to get by with her running style and coming out of some of the stronger races. I mean, she's faced great at Stakes Company in two of the last three. The the race looks like Japuti Kaba is going to show a little bit of speed, and I think Sugar Fix should be able to sit behind. Irony of Reality is is sort of interesting. So... She was on the synthetic last time out, uh, a good second in, against Stakes Company. She, it, you can put a line through the race two back at Pimlico in a race that was taken off the turf, and her turf form is not bad. Her, her synthetic form is a little bit better. I think after Sugar Fix, I, I, I think she's the next one, and she would be a, a horse who I'm playing to win if I can get anything over five to one. Irony of reality. 10-11 for me in race number 9 at Gulfstream Park. Moving to the 10th. This is the 5 furlong turf. The one Faya is super quick. Really nice form is 1-4 in a row. But I always have some, some concern with a horse like this who draws the rail in a sprint race where you know there's going to be some other speed early on. So I won't completely dismiss Faya from the exotics. But I'm going to be using along with Belgrano who I feel like will to sit a perfect trip from off the pace in here with enough speed to push Faya early on. So 8-1 for me, race number 10 at Gulfstream Park. Those are the two I'm using in your exotics. And then in race number 11, no real strong opinion. Uh, I I thought Snap Hook was one to include. Um, If you're playing pick fours and pick fives, probably deal-driven Bobby G uh, will be in the mix for me. I'm I'm okay playing against Froster Frippery, who... Yeah, he's probably the most consistent in here, but he takes a ton of money, uh, and he just was not good last time out. So, a Saturday fun claiming crown card at Gulfstream Park. Remember to get involved in the big stable duel contest on Saturday. Well, for an aqueduct, there are four graded stakes races, and, and honestly, on paper, when you look at them at first glance, they don't look that good. I think we can find some vulnerable favorites. So let's get the past performances out for Aqueduct Saturday. Again, just keep in mind that uh, it's supposed to be pretty wet all weekend at Aqueduct. So I'm using horses, not because of it, but horses that I think would benef- would be fine if it was sloppy too. And then just make sure, you know, upgrade if it's absolutely pouring out there. And if you've seen the racetrack play, you know, start a certain way in the first few races, then... Come race number four, the grade two Remsen on Saturday, you'll know, you know, if maybe you want to upgrade 10 for 10 a little bit, who on paper, he's probably lone speed, but he was lone speed last time out and pick and time ran right by him. I mean, right on the square. And I, I think he might get forgotten about a little bit in no, known agenda is going to take some money and 10 for 10 will take some money and Picking time should be able to save all the ground in here. He has one poor performance, and it was in the Saratoga Special against Jackie's Warrior. He was off a little bit slow, and you know you're off slow against a horse like Jackie's Warrior, and you're just in trouble. Picking time, known agenda dug in and battled the length of this of the stretch. He's he's fine. Table for ten would be no shock if he gets the lead. Brooklyn Strong's fine. There's no monsters in here. Just give me picking time, sitting off the pace and just picking them off. 
Again, number one, picking time in the grade two Remsen. Let's move to race number six for our next taste of graded stakes action. We're going to be looking at the grade three Gopher Wand, and we'll have a heavy favorite from the inside of Nona Madeline. Sharp Star is going to take uh, money also. But I don't know what to do with Sharp Star, a horse who had th- been fine and threw in a buyer speed figure of 101 last time out. Absolutely freaking. What do you what do you do? I mean, she comes back to that race or anything close to that race, she probably wins this. She's going to be very tough. If she runs more back to the form prior to that race, that's not good enough to beat this group. So I I'm not using her. I would prefer Nona Madeline. Who for, to me feels like she's no doubt the one to beat. I, I don't really love the rail. But she should be able to settle. With a couple. Maybe two other speeds in here. And sit behind them. I like Graceful Princess with the blinkers coming off. I think with the outside draw and the blinkers coming off. Joelle jumping aboard. They will have her sit a little bit more. And if that happens. There are versions of this race. Where Portal Creek. Shows some speed. And Nona Madeline shows some speed. And Graceful Princess sits the trip right behind him. Can she really sit though? Even the sort of the trip that she had at Gulfstream back in April, but they were going quicker that day. I'm just hoping now blinkers off, outside draw, take her off the pace a little bit. The number six Graceful Princess I will use along with Nona Madeline in race six, the grade three go for one. We head to race number nine, the grade two Demoiselle. Mile and an eighth for these two-year-old fillies. Mala thought two for two for Todd Pletcher, stakes winner from the inside. She's going to be very tough. But if she gets beat, it is probably because Traffic Lane and others in here were pushing her early. Cara Mocha's got some speed. Cafe Society wouldn't be a shock. There's at least a couple that can make it difficult on Mala Hot down inside. Now, she might be able to sit fine. Maybe she's just better than this group. Million dollar purchase. First full from Dreaming of Julia. Monster pedigree. Everything you like. But she's going to take a ton of money. I was really impressed with Milfu. The number three. So, she's a runner-up in her debut going a mile. Career start number two. She comes back. She settles Last on the inside, but she's only a couple lengths off in a small field. Field of five, she's only about three lengths off or so at the most. And she moves up into a really tight spot on the inside. She's on the heels of arrival. So what happens? She gets that shuffled back spot on the inside where she has to lose a couple lengths, waiting, waiting, loaded with nowhere to go. Gets a great opening in the two path, explodes like a total professional, and draws off. She has some ability, and she's in good hands. With Mott and Rosario, Milfew sitting just off and trying to run down Malfat late. That's at least the trip I'm envisioning for the number three, Milfew. Let's get you to race number 10. It's the Cigar Mile here. And Performer is very logical. He's five for six. He's the one to beat. Graded stakes winner. This is a weak, weak renewal of the Cigar Mile. And... I'm going to look for a bomb in here with the number three snapper Sinclair, who is 20 to one on the morning line. And if we can get anything around 10 to one, I'm going to make a win wager on him. His last two races 
are fine against they're on the grass. And if you look, he's facing Flavius and Ivar. Those are graded stakes horses on the grass. His dirt form is not bad at all. Snapper Sinclair was fourth in the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile in 2019. He actually has wet track form too. He can run on, uh, run on a wet track. You see the wet track victory. From a class standpoint, even look at the races he was on the dirt prior to that. You're talking about Owendale and Tom's D. Tot. That's a better group than this group. Snapper Sinclair, dirt ability and the wet track form coming out of some races as far as the class is concerned that are just as good as this group. Who scares you in here? Like just playing horses off of numbers and figures, Snapper Sinclair is right in the mix with these. I don't think the mile is the best for Frenzy Fire anymore. He just seems a little bit better going shorter. He also seems a little bit better at Belmont. And if they're raining, if it's raining, Frenzy Fire, they said they're probably going to scrap. They just, they don't like, they know he does not want an off track. Mr. Buff has never really been good against open company. I do think King Guillermo is really talented, but we haven't seen him run since May, and now he's going to be facing older. I wouldn't be shocked to see him run a really good third. In here and then take a step forward In his next start there's ability with King Guillermo Snapper Sinclair number three Going to be the play for me at anything over Like eight ten to one I'll be Betting him to win we'll use Snapper Sinclair Along with Performer and With King Guillermo in some of The exotics there that's race number Ten at Aqueduct that's the cigar mile Four graded stakes races on Saturday keep an eye on the weather And how horses perform on The off Racetrack I think you think we can beat some favorites There in, in the fourth race The one pick in time in the sixth race The sixth graceful, graceful princess In the ninth the three Milfu And in the tenth the three Snapper Sinclair Make sure to throw them in some of your exotics That is your Weekend racing We went through Friday Golfstream Friday Aqueduct Best Bets Saturday Golfstream Full Card Saturday Aqueduct Best Bets Hopefully we led you to some winners along the way We're going to lead you to OldSmokeClothing.com right now Old Smoke Clothing is a website for horse racing products Quality, quality products We're talking about t-shirts, hats, zip-ups, quality clothing, hoodies, tank tops, long sleeve, custom designs Where you can pick designs Say whatever you want You can check out the special collections The Kentucky Derby collection The Secretariat collection What about the Clubhouse Which is the exclusive membership For the sport's most passionate fans That's the Old Smoke Clubhouse Where it is a quarterly package That will be delivered to you That includes a a t-shirt Only available to members You get membership perks 20% off all the orders At oldsmokeclothing.com For more on the clubhouse Check out the website Oldsmokeclothing.com And and here's what you get Because you're listening to That's What G Said When you use the promo code G-I-N-O Free shipping on your order Free shipping on your order Promo code G-I-N-O Holiday season These are great gifts Your mom, your dad, brother, sister Anyone that you know that loves horse racing Hey, maybe these are just a gift that you're going to Wrap for yourself and put under the tree this year You want one of the new uh, authentic t-shirts Or maybe you're a fan of Midnight Bisu Tis the law, she dares the devil They've got all sorts of swag With all of those horses on it Check out the website OldSmokeClothing.com Promo code G-I-N-O Gets you free shipping 
on your order. The biggest night of the short lifespan of the All Elite Wrestling Company was on Wednesday night with AEW Dynamite. Huge news coming out of that show. The return of Sting to professional wrestling and his first time ever showing up for All Elite. Kenny Omega, the new AEW champ, he's taken the belt to Impact Wrestling. What is going on? A crazy night, a really good show. Winter is coming. Alex Regla joins me. We recap everything that went on throughout the show. We talk about what we're looking forward to. AEW, about a half hour discussion on all elite wrestling. Winter is coming. Uh, Well, I guess winter came as of now, and it was an AEW when normally something really big happens or there's a big show in the wrestling world. We're programmed to think that it was something that was happening in WWF, WWE. In recent years, you know, there have been big things going on in the world of New Japan and some independent promotions, but nothing like what we've seen from All Elite Wrestling in the last year or so. To join me to talk about the big All Elite Wrestling Dynamite show that was titled Winter is Coming is uh, a man who's going to talk some Lakers with me. You normally hear him talking about NBA, but he's a huge wrestling fan too and, and a big fan of All Elite Wrestling. Alex Regla. Alex, man, what a show we're coming off last night. Yeah, man. Uh, it's funny because when you first invited me to hop on here to talk about the show, this was you know like a week before the show happened, and um, yeah, to say I was surprised by what happened and what occurred and everything is an understatement. That was just incredible. We got a show that kicks off with the battle royal, good action all the way through, a huge surprise in Sting, a name that. All wrestling fans know from the late 80s into the 90s into the 2000s um, Someone that actually moves the needle And we can see by some of the ratings that All Elite Wrestling got last night Just creeping up right around almost to the million uh, the million mark And then the way the show finishes with a, a title change, a really good match And, and then it's like, what? They're going to Impact Wrestling? We're going to be watching Impact on Tuesday night to see what's going on? It it was pretty crazy. Yeah, like I tweeted out, like, they somehow made me forget Sting even debuted on that show after the main event with that yeah. whole no, you're Kenny right. Omega thing. You're right. It it was just a, a, a huge night from top to bottom, and we'll go through it uh, from the beginning. Let's start with uh, with Wednesday Night's Dynamite and... The intro package, lots of Moxley Omega stuff. And that was the main event for the title, the AEW title that we've been building to for weeks now. Jim Ross welcomes us, and it was only 40 degrees or so outside of Jacksonville. So it was definitely cold where they were. Winter is coming was a, a very fitting name for them. We got a battle royal to start. And so the way this battle royal was, the final two will be facing next week. For the diamond ring MJF who has the diamond ring He cut a promo with Wardlow and with Sammy Those three are all going to be In the battle royal representing The inner circle Um, We saw Matt Hardy Tossing Private Party and Isaiah We saw Hangman working with the Dark Order Sean Spears kind of Messing around outside the ring And and we got a a moment where JR mentions The passing of uh, of Pat Patterson Rest in peace there Uh, What's great about this battle royal too is you feel like there are so many things coming out of this yes. um, There's going to be a lot of different storylines I mean, just in this Battle Royal alone They've built nice stuff for the next few weeks of TV Yeah, I think you hit it right there um, 
like I'm not a huge fan of their battle royals in terms of like the actual product. Like I think they get kind of sloppy at times. Mm. But I think you're spot on when you can tell the company like strategically make sure we get storylines coming out of the battle yep. royal, right? Like they hinted at Hangman and Dark Order, which I really loved that little segment. It was great when they caught him and they tossed him back in. Yeah. And, yeah. Um we got that. We got the Wardlow and uh Miro face off. I thought that was cool as a little And this like, is the like, best in ring and the best like the best Miro has looked so far. Yeah. I I've not been a big fan of the whole video game. Me neither. Theory. Not at all. Because he he's such a badass. Yeah. I felt like he would be someone that you could kind of bring over and immediately have him right up in that upper echelon in the main event picture. And he kind of feels like he's been floundering. Maybe this is, is gonna be a way to not repackage him, but sort of remind everybody, hey, this guy is a badass. Hopefully. And like you said, I thought this was the best presentation of him since he joined the company. Mm-hmm. Like this is how you want to book him. Yep. And uh yeah, like when he first signed with AEW, like my first thoughts were like, Yeah, just give me him versus Wardlow, him versus Archer, him versus like any big guy they got, because that's kind of the matches I love to watch. Yeah. So yeah, that that was great coming out of it. So I uh, towards the end it was Miro, Jungle Boy, MJF, Wardlow, Sammy. Uh they were all teaming up the inner circle. And what ended up happening was uh, Orange Cassidy was actually outside the ring and the inner circle had not realized once they did, they came back, it was three on one Orange Cassidy was able to get the advantage He was able to eliminate Sammy And eliminate Ward Or eliminate, actually Sam, uh, MJF eliminated uh, Helped eliminate Sammy And uh, and, and, Cass, and uh, Orange Cassidy Was uh, the last man in With MJF, it's going to be those two next week For the Diamond Ring And this was Kind of Sort of another one of the storylines going on throughout the show About the turmoil in the inner circle Which we find out uh, a little bit Up next in A Kazarian Jericho match I've announced uh, Some independent shows where Kaz Was wrestling live He is one of those guys that You just kind of forget how good he is Yeah You know I and, and it's because he's never really given in a single situation, a big push or a big uh, storyline to really sink his teeth into. So we don't really know him. We kind of forget about him as a character. And then he's given time, any any time he's given time. When he's given a time like this in a match with Jericho, you forget how good he really is. Yeah, and I think JR, like every time JR calls a Kaz match, like that's something he always brings up Mm -hmm. just because he usually is in tag teams for the most part and we don't really get to see him shine as a singles guy. And I remember a couple of weeks back, there was a match between him and Hangman that I really, really yep. dug. So yeah, like if, if that's the thing with this roster, they have so many guys like in the mid card or even as like are in tag teams that if you give them a chance to be singles guys, like even like a guy like Scorpio Sky, yeah, like there's guys all in, up and down the roster that if you just give them time, like they can produce. Kaz had a really cool flux capacitor yeah. and uh, he was uh Teasing the walls of Jericho stuff And then MJF comes out with the With the white towel like he's gonna Throw in the towel Sammy then Comes out and fights off MJF he does not Want him to throw in the towel for Jericho uh, Kaz with a few more quick Near falls but then Jericho hits The Judas effect elbow for the win And he after the match Chris Jericho gives the inner circle uh, He talks to them and says Next week it's gonna be an ultimatum which these these segments they've had, whether it be the Vegas segment, the town hall stuff, the debate stuff, the dinner with MJF and Jericho, I think they're just 
finding more ways they can do these these segments with them because they've been pretty gold every time they've done something like this. Yeah, have you have you like have you guessed or like predicted what what do you think like the eventual outcome of this is going to be? Do you think MJF turns on them? Do you think like how do you think this pays off? Yeah, I mean that's a good that's a very good question because you'd you'd assume I mean he's going to turn on them, but it's weird when they're both heels. You know, because there's nobody really that's the baby face, but they're kind of the cool heels that everybody's rooting for. So you sort of wonder, is this a way to baby face Chris Jericho? I d- does MJF take the inner circle from Jericho? You know, I yeah. like, is, is that something that could happen? And he now he's the new leader of the inner circle and he kicks Jericho out. I don't know. You know, do you have any predictions? I, I think like just one prediction that's not of, of that like caliber. I think Sammy is going to baby face turn here. Like, sure. I, we saw in the Battle Royal, there's just like this incredible sequence between him and Jungle Boy. And uh, there's like a week or two back when they tagged uh, Sammy with someone else. And he had like this baby face, like hot tag. Like you can see he has the makings of it. And just this whole stuff with him and MJF, I definitely think that's something that's going to come out of it. If he's elevated, I would love it. He has been incredible. Um, I mean... The the singing stuff, which we get with the crowd now. I become, I become, yeah. I become, yeah. The singing, the Jericho stuff, the car. I mean, you could tell Sammy's really creative, and he. That's that's the thing. There's so many guys that are just on that precipice right now. We're seeing it, you know, with with Sammy, with MJF, uh, you know, Jungle Boys right in the mix, and now Darby Allen. Darby. We're going to talk about it in just a minute because he's definitely going to be uh, elevated. It looks like with the presence of Sting around, so. We'll find out next week the ultimatum for the uh, the inner circle. Young Bucks cut a promo backstage. Heal Young Bucks, which you know I don't know if you saw earlier today. They posted a. Uh, we're recording this on on Thursday. Um, they posted a tweet with them standing with TNA in the background. You know, just like <laughs> a total troll tweet. I guess you know they they do a good job with this role. Like that's the one thing is. Their their work in the ring is always going to be awesome, but they seem like they have a have a fun time when they're getting to play just a total like snossigy heel like this. Yeah, and I kind of like that they've um, they're kind of treating these tag belts since they've won them as almost like the way Cody was using the uh, TNT title, mm-hmm. where it's like they're giving shots to tag teams that either were in the independent circuit or haven't got a lot of shine on Dynamite like uh, TH2 coming up. So yeah, I I kind of dig that they're giving. All these tag teams a chance because this roster again the tag team division is just loaded. It's it's stacked. So we'll we'll see some good tag action coming up next week where Young Bucks will be facing TH2. Now we have uh, Britt Baker versus Lay- Layla Hirsch, which you know Britt Baker you could tell that they like her quite a bit. She's got the character and the personality down. I think she's going to be an AEW Women's Champ in yeah. the near future. I think she probably was getting set to be one before she got hurt actually. And and Layla is is I like her in-ring work. She's she's a good worker. She's an actual legitimate yeah, wrestler. She is, and she's kind of short and compact, so she's got a different look. And sort of a different style than a lot of the other women do And this was a I enjoyed this match for the most part And a lot of the AEW women's work I gotta say is probably some of my least favorite stuff With the company Just when you compare it to Like some of the strength of the WWE women's division Or NXT women women's division They seem like they have a, a little bit more As far as top top tier talent But I, I'm a big fan of Britt Baker I think her work needs to get cleaned up a little bit But I like the overall presence And 
I thought this was 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 fun. It was not bad. I like the work from uh, from Hirsch here too, and you could tell that Jr. loved uh, loved talking about like a shooter like this. You know, sure. like someone with some some real sports background. Yeah, I think he likes Hirsch a lot and deep. Like he usually glows mm-hmm. when these when these performers are on. But yeah, I I was impressed too by uh, Hirsch. I I hope they sign her, and I hope like they put her in Team Taz or something. Like yeah. just like as like a great shoot fighter Perfect. to go with Taz. That'd be great. But uh, yeah, Britt, it's just a matter of when with her. Like it's gonna mm-hmm. happen. I do like you know Attic coming out of the match. We saw her and um, Thunder Rosa go back at it, and uh, Thunder Rosa again has been probably the most important. Uh, women wrestler who's joined AEW. I don't yeah. know if she's there full-time, but just her work with the NWA, and I know she's not champion anymore, but they really need to elevate their women's division and just give them the proper time to kind of build these storylines. And thankfully, we have the NWA presence on here, and maybe we get the TNA presence on here soon. Yeah, it would, I think it would only help strengthen the women's division. That's been... One of the, the the few weak links I think of AEW They've been pretty darn good uh, overall With everything that they're doing uh, Britt wins with the submission Thunder Rosa attacks post-match As you, me- as you mentioned, the refs and officials come out to celebrate A uh, couple big moments on this show And one of them was next in the tag match It was Darby, Allen, and Cody with Arn Versus Team Taz So you got Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs With uh, Taz and with Brian Cage out there with them Cody, note the note that I made too. He's getting very top heavy too. Something he mentioned yeah. <laughs> a few a uh, few weeks ago. He's definitely putting on some bulk up top. And Taz's son has actually been trading with Cody, so there's like some inner turmoil between Taz and and Cody. Cody and Darby were in control early. They were working on Starks, and then Hobbs with a nasty clothesline clothesline to Darby outside the ring. The the heels are working over Darby, and I mean Hobbs. Look really impressive He over is an overhead throw of Darby By by the the ears ears, Which was just nasty Cody comes in on the hot tag He's the house of fire He hits the Cody cutter to Darby And Darby for the coffin drop and the win Post-match Team Taz Is just beating down Cody And Darby And then Arn gets in the mix And Arn is is, you know on the floor Uh, Here comes Dustin Rhodes He's on the floor Cage is out there So we've got all of Team Taz has basically just destroyed Darby Allen, Cody, Arn, and Dustin. And then the lights go out. And we see a video that plays. And the word Sting shows up on the video. And Tony Schiavone, <laughs> it's Sting! He was so excited. And this was one of those wow Type moments now depend no doesn't matter where you stand on this and you're gonna say yeah he's 61 year old guy this and that but we don't know how they're gonna use him we don't know what's going to happen you just gotta say this is one of the few people I think that is actually someone who can move the needle and will get people talking get them buzzing and probably has WWE looking over and going should we have done something more with Sting. Uh, This was a massive moment This was really cool He didn't say a word Alex He walked into the ring And he just had a little moment with everyone He had a moment with Cody He walked to Arn which was really cool Yeah that was cool He walked to Dustin And then the moment with Darby Where they kind of looked each other up and down So this was really really awesome One of those wow wow moments that we have kind of reserved that we thought would be WWE giving us and now we're getting them from AEW. This was a huge night for them and this was one of two things that every that people are talking about, but like you said, 
with Sting, you'd figure this was the big moment of the night, but there was still more to come. Yeah, like uh, like you said, this was just incredible. I, I think the biggest thing is because no one expected it. Like usually with wrestling, like in the, the leaks post internet era, yeah, you you get a week ahead of time that oh maybe Sting will do something. Like we got that kind of with Edge when he first returned to WWE, but with Sting, it just came out of nowhere. And yeah, like just again, I hope I hope they use him in the proper way, and I do trust they will. Like they've done a great job with their legends already with Arn and Tully and uh with Jake Roberts. Like they're not coming in and winning the belt. You know, they're not doing something crazy like yep. TNA was doing or w- yep. or late WCW really, but um so I think they've hopefully learned from the mistakes of other companies and use Sting. I, I actually don't know how they would use him. Do you yeah, have I'm ideas? curious. Is it is it maybe you have him in a tag or maybe he has a some big matches here and there. Maybe he is a mentor to Darby. Yeah. I don't know. You know, maybe, maybe, but I think, I feel like they're probably going to want to try to get a little more out of him early. I just, I don't want him like we saw what, the, what WWE was doing wow. in that. You know what? If you're going to have Sting in a, in a fun bells and whistles, like no DQ match with Jericho, I'm cool with that. Right. Like th- that's, that's cool use of him. I don't want to see him trying to go 20 minutes with Kenny Omega like he tried to do with Seth Rollins, you know, because that just can't really like that's not really who he is anymore. He's 61. He really wasn't really ever that guy to begin with. So the the presence of him is awesome. And and, and what this does, Alex, like you said, we're curious in how they're going to use him. And what's great is that we're curious in what's going to happen. We're going to tune in next week. Yeah, we just haven't been getting enough of that the last couple of years from WWE. Like we got on this episode There are multiple reasons why I'm tuning in next week To to impact wrestling And to, to, to AEW You know so this was really Really cool the snow was falling Down um, sting Back on TNT did not Say a word and uh, The announcers were just going ballistic And it was cool to have Tony There you know as, as Tony was like The WCW guy for uh, For all those years they promote what's going to be happening next week MJF Orange Cassidy Young Bucks TH2 Dustin Rhodes versus 10 from the Dark Order FTR Varsity Blondes Abaddon in, au- in action uh, The new uh, the new woman Who, who looks pretty imposing And uh, the Inner Circle Ultimatum They also have Lance Archer and the Lucha Bros Versus Kingston Butcher and the Blade So a packed show already for next week Sting Speaks also And Then we get a great promo from Moxley, he's backstage He talks about how this is a huge night Kenny and, and him were on a collision course forever And he even gives a little shout at the end to uh, to Pat Patterson When he says, go banana uh, This like These are the kind of promos we wish we could have seen more of From Moxley and WWE You don't need to write for guys like this You just give them some bullet points Let them know, hey, this is what we want you to get across And give them the mic And I'll say this, I know we're going to talk about the main event coming up But I, I just want to Give shout out to like Moxley for for this title run. Like it's been a awesome. lengthy run, and the majority of it, if not all of it, has come with you know the post COVID era and with no crowds and all this stuff. But his promo work, like his stuff with Eddie Kingston, like the promo works during that build up was amazing. Um, he's just been consistently one of the best, if not the best, like world champion in North America in terms Absolute, of just hundred percent. Yeah. So I. I Whatever happens with him next coming out of this whole angle, which I don't know what happens with anyone coming out of this show, but 
him specifically, I thought he he's just proven how valuable he is to this company. So we get the setup for the main event, and they call it the biggest night in AEW history, which that's no hyperbole. It is. This absolutely was. They it had a big fight feel. It was a big fight night. Don Callis joins commentary. This is something they've done. Recently uh, on a pay-per-view before With Kenny against Hangman because Don is very close to Kenny they're basically like Family they've grown Don was with Kenny growing up He was a big influence in him uh, for him In the in the wrestling world so it's not Weird having him out there but this Is this is a little great thing that It would have been weird if this was the first time Yes right the fact That they've had him there before and that Everything was fine and nothing weird Went down threw you Off you just thought that Okay, this is like Kenny's gonna win, but and, and maybe Don's there for the moment with Kenny winning, but he's not gonna have any involvement in the match or, or anything like that. So that was just another small detail that mm-hmm. you know I hate comparing everything to WWE, but you ha- you can't you have to when they're the big one that they get away they've gotten away from the last couple of years. They kind of make you feel a little stupid sometimes as a fan, and and this was this was great, and this was like a. Really good match there was I think 40 minutes Left when the intro started and we got About a 30 minute actual bell to bell Match with good Work at the beginning mat work They were basically telling the story that Moxley was Super prepared for for Kenny And he had done his homework and he knew that everything That Kenny was going to throw at him and he had a counter For all of that and and then it it really really starts to to pick up quite a bit. Moxley hits a couple nasty DDTs. Hits the DDT and then he doesn't pin him. He goes outside. He gets a couple of chairs. And he sets them both up. <laughs> These two guys sit down in the chairs across from each other and just smack the crap out of each other back and forth and back and forth. Then it really starts to pick up. Omega snack dragon sloopplex. We get a nasty lariat from Moxley. Paradigm shift. Long two count. Uh, rolls outside. And Moxley goes for a suicide dive He gets hit with a V trigger uh, Missile drop kick off the top rope um, I mean we're just going back and forth All of the, the greatest hits for Kenny And, and Moxley is, is holding up his end of the bargain in there too uh, One wing angel he, He's countered back and forth A ripcord V trigger yeah. then, then they're outside the ring And Moxley Sort of DDT suplexes Kenny Into one of the big large heaters That they have So the refs come out They're checking on Omega Who's selling it like he's got a head injury Don Callis comes off of the commentary To go check on Kenny They're talking to him Moxley says no He he grabs Omega Throws him back in the ring um, He doesn't care He keeps going after Kenny He it, Then he, he turns his focus to Don Callis Who distracts him for a little bit The microphone ends up in the ring Kenny grabs the mic and he nails Moxley with the mic. Then he, then after it wasn't one of those finishes where it's like, oh, I'm going to hit you with the mic and that's the finish. (laughs) It was two V triggers, then a V trigger to the back of the head, another V trigger. (laughs) Moxley is just busted open. He hits the one winged angel, bloody Mox everywhere, and your new AEW champion, Kenny Omega. And then Kenny and Don, they are like bat out of hell. Earl Hebner after the Montreal screw job, <laughs> Shawn Michaels, Triple H, they take the belt, they run out of there. We get no celebration, we get nothing. And as they're walking through the back, Tony Khan and all sorts of uh, AW officials are screaming at him, What did you do? I can't believe you did this. 
I mean, it, it felt very, they did a great job in making it feel chaotic. Like, what is happening? What's going on? And reporter catches up with Don Callis right in the parking lot as they're about to get into a car. And Don says, You know, you want to know what's going on? Tune in on Tuesday night. And they said, Impact's on, or Dynamite's on Wednesday. He said, No, I'm not talking about Dynamite. I'm talking about Impact Wrestling on Axis TV. So we've got like a cross promotional thing going on here. And I, say whatever you want about TNA, which used to be TNA, now they're Impact. Are they on the level with AEW? This, that. This was. Damn cool Alex this felt real This was something that we were not expecting Again like you said with the sting thing earlier mm-hmm. It came out of nowhere And this felt fresh Yeah th- this whole thing like you said um, It's not even so much that it's TNA Like it, I think obviously If it was New Japan it would be a bigger deal But it it doesn't really matter It's the story AEW's going to get out of this Like we're talking about it today Everyone's talking about it today Like n- WWE simply Wouldn't do this right they're not going to even acknowledge other companies. What AEW is doing is they're not only acknowledging other companies, they're going to be sending their world champion to another company on Tuesday to cut his first promo as that, the champ. That is absurd. Really? Uh, like, so there's so many different ways that we can go from this. Like, I, I, I honestly was shocked. Like you said, it, it was so smart to bring Callison um, for the last pay per view to call first that eight man yep. Omega match. Because it wasn't a red herring anymore, right? Like, we knew he was probably just going to commentate. But we had no idea he was going inter- to interfere and take him to TNA. Like, it's just crazy. He's walking out. You guys did this to yourself. And then both of them on Twitter afterwards have been great. Callus is like, AEW screwed AEW. You know, he is just playing this heel shtick amazingly. and And now, you know... Do they do something where Kenny is taking this title belt to some different promotions? Is he taking it here to, and then you see him show up somewhere in NWA, maybe in, in New Japan? I mean, there's just a billion questions we can ask, which is exactly what we want from our yes. wrestling. We yes. want it to be like this felt like something, and not even like the CM Punk when he left with the belt. That was awesome, but you kind of knew where it was going to go. And like you said, with with Vince and WWE, you know Punk was never showing up somewhere else with that belt. Exactly. This is different. Like this feels like everything is on the table right now, and um, a great angle. And we got a cool, cool surprise appearance in Sting. And I want to make sure before you know before we finish up, we'll have you know get your overall thoughts on the show and uh, and and you know coming out of it. But I want to give some props to that match too because yeah, that was a great match from Moxley Omega. People probably won't talk about the match because they're gonna be talking about Sting. They're talking about the angle, but the final like seven to ten minutes or so were really really good. And you have to give Mox a ton of credit. We know Omega is one of the best, if not the best, wrestler in the world at the top of his game. But he, Moxie, showed he can compete and keep up with Kenny here. Yeah, and like you said, you mentioned earlier, like the weather in Jacksonville definitely. Yeah. Uh, people are complaining about that all all night, and for the performers to kind of be hanging out backstage all night, getting like stiff and just, and then having to go out and do like a 30, 40 minute match, and then a post match promo. And a post-match angle, like all that's really tough. It, but then to also do, it was very like New Japan. I, I thought they laid out their match like the New, New yep. Japan style, and Slow, I'm sure that was intentional. Up, yeah, and then that last like, there's always that sequence of 
five plus minutes or so where it's boom, 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 boom. Yeah, it just props to everybody. This is this is something that's tough to do too. You're promoting a big show for a while now. And this this had to be a night that AEW hit a home run. It did. They couldn't hit a double here. There were going to be a lot of eyeballs on this show. They knew what they were doing by by putting Sting on this show. And I mean, I think they hit an absolute home run. I'm really Excited I have so many questions now about what's going to happen They've already they did a great job too of just Promoting everything for next week On this show that there was already 900,000 eyeballs on right So they everybody now already knows Hey what's happening next week Sting's talking we got a Young Bucks match We got you know these three other matches That they've already stacked That's the kind of thing that Small little attention to detail stuff That in the long run If this company continues to To you know build and you would think they're only going to get better behind the scenes, you know, with new and young EVPs and guys who haven't been doing this forever. I'm really impressed, and I'm I'm proud of what they're doing. You know, as a wrestling fan, it's it's phenomenal. This was a, a just a blast of a night to watch live wrestling on TV, and I I used to get this way for Monday Night yeah. Raw. You know, I used to be like appointment viewing. I would have my alarm set, sit down, crack a beer, you know, and I'm just like, I'd love to watch Raw and SmackDown. And it just, it hasn't felt that way as much. This was a blast of a couple hours, Alex. Yeah. I mean, I was talking to people online about it yesterday, and we can't remember another wrestling program like that, that episode last night for Dynamite that felt like how it used to, like you just said. Like it's a like it's an event viewing. Like you, don't, if you watch AEW and specifically that episode, and you miss that episode, like imagine you missed last night's episode. Like there's weight to that, right? If you yeah. miss, if you miss it's two FOMO months, FOMO now. Of, You're like, yeah. Damn, I didn't see Sting. I they he took the title. He's going T Impact. <laughs> what the hell? And it, it it came off cool, you know. Like it, I, I agree. I would have I would have been upset if I wasn't watching that show live last night. Yeah, and and compare that to again. I don't want to always like compare it to WWE, it's but you have to. You have to. They're the sure. measuring stick, you know. But like, you could miss. I haven't watched Raw. I, I, no exaggeration. Maybe two two years. Like, I I just listen to podcasts where they review it, so I'm caught up. I know what's going on. You catch the the highlights on Twitter. Sure. Anything big that happens, but it's it, you. You don't feel you can go a month and be like, oh, okay, these two these two guys are still going, huh? You know, like we we've had like four variations of this match over the last month, and that's it. There's nothing else. It's I I agree. And so, as wrestling fans, coming off of an awesome night, Alex, I know uh, you uh, on uh, throwdowns and some of your written work, you do a lot of NBA stuff. But hey, you're a wrestling fan. There's some wrestling stuff in there a, a lot of times too. Tell the folks out there how we can follow you on social media and uh, and what you got coming up. Yeah, so it's. My, you can find me on Twitter, Alex M. Regla. And I usually do tweet out, like, if it's Dynamite, I usually, I know most of my followers are NBA Laker fans, but I still tweet out some of my thoughts from the show and stuff like yeah. that. So you can follow me there. And yeah, I have a newsletter if you're a Lakers fan. Um, it's throwdowns.substack. I do have a few wrestling pieces up on there. Um, I wrote something on Hangman Page from earlier past year, and I still think he's incredible. Like, he's probably my favorite wrestler going right now. But yeah, you can catch my work there. We got Alex pulling double duty today uh, Talking some uh, AEW and some Lakers With us, one of the few people out there Is talented and able to do so much So uh, Alex, thank you And uh, for those of you who are also NBA Laker fans too, make sure to find The other segment on That's What G Said this week Where Alex and I talk about the the Lakers roster And some of the Laker moves and what to to look forward to So thanks again Alex Uh, Have a nice weekend coming up buddy Thank you man, thanks for having me as always
Don't go anywhere, folks. Plenty more on That's What She Said. Thank you to Alex for helping us out. AEW and the Lakers pulling double duty today. Alex Regla. So while we are in the uh, the entertainment uh, corner, I guess, of, of That's What G Said, I'm going to go and join a friend of mine, Peter Brady, who is a Star Wars expert, knows everything about the Star Wars universe, the canon, all the different movies, all the books, um, the cartoons, animation, you name it, Peter knows about it. And he's been watching The Mandalorian, as many of us have on Disney+. Plus. Mandalorian Season 2, we are on Episode 5 right now, so we're going to give a full recap of everything that happened. Spoiler alert, if you haven't been watching, we will go through things that are on that are happening on the episodes, that have happened in previous episodes, that have happened in anything in the Star Wars universe, because now things are really starting to connect. This is a cool conversation if you're Someone like me, who only has watched the Star Wars movies, and you're watching The Mandalorian. If you're an expert, if you're someone like Peter, who loves everything Star Wars, you'll probably like hearing some of the things that that he talks about, and some of the the ways he's able to answer my questions about uh, Sokotano. Who are some of these major, major characters that we're finding out about in The Mandalorian? Peter Brady, my old buddy from high school, from LaSalle, joins me. Kick back and enjoy, folks. We... Talk for about a half an hour on The Mandalorian Season 2, Episode 5. Okay, really excited for this one, folks. You've heard me doing my little mini recaps of The the Mandalorian week by week, but basically that's just kind of telling you what's happening on the episode. This week, and I think from now on out, it's going to be a little bit different because what we're seeing in the last couple of weeks is all of these worlds unlocked in the Star Wars universe in the canon of, of different movies of, of different things that are all over from the, the last 30, 40 years. And someone who's a big Star Wars fan and who knows all about the Star Wars universe uh, to talk with us about Mandalorian season two, episode five, and uh, just about the, the show overall is a, a friend of mine that I have not talked to in a while, but he, he reached out and said he was a Star Wars fan when I was asking for some help the other day. And I'm very happy to have my old buddy from high school, Peter Brady, to join us here on That's What G Said. Peter, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well, G. I'm doing really well. I'm really excited to be on. I've been enjoying the pod a lot lately, so uh, I'm honored to be to be here helping out. Oh, man, thanks a bunch. Okay, big, big picture overall thoughts. I'm someone who is been a Star Wars fan, but I've been a fan of the movies. I know a little bit about what's going on, but I've just recently gotten into uh, Clone Wars and Rebels and and some of the other uh, the non-movie canon of Star Wars. So, where do you stand with the Mandalorian overall? You know, as someone who knows Star Wars, are are you positive, negative? Do you like what Favreau and Filoni seem to be doing with it or do you not? Give us your thoughts as someone who has been ingrained in the Star Wars world. How does this hold up? It's it's phenomenal. I think uh, anytime you, you know David Filoni has really um, taken the mantle as as the guy carrying carrying on the Star Wars legacy for George Lucas, uh, but he's not particularly well known outside of you know if your main uh, experience with Star Wars is through just the movies, right, or only live action, uh, you might not know him as well. Uh, but he. He started the Clone Wars uh, cartoons with George Lucas's blessing, and that uh, 
show had added a ton of backstory and really shored up a lot of the weaknesses of the prequel movies. Um, and then he has gone on, he did Rebels, and then he's obviously a part of this. Um, Favreau has also been really involved, and uh, I think they've done an awesome job with with this show. Um, they've got a really tricky balance to, to uh, deal with because they've got, on one hand, a, a huge number of fans who only watched through the you know the movies and uh they have to make a show that appeals to people uh just on its own right you, you can't have too much backstory where people who who haven't watched all the other media you're overwhelmed get yeah you're like well, i don't understand what's happening here who are all these characters at the same time they have to you know make it interesting enough for those diehard fans who've gotten way into those shows to not feel like this is dumbed down or or not applicable to the to the rest of the star wars universe it really feels like it's serving two masters very well at the moment you know like like that because if you're someone like my, my me my girlfriend who watched the show and we didn't know until i started doing the research and saying okay now i'm so interested in how and, and really let what feloni and Favreau seem like they want to do kind of like you said they want to sort of clean up some of the mess <laughs> that there have been in some of the, yeah. the more recent movies and they have this like this canvas now where they're able to to do so and so um it's fascinating for me to go back and and when we we talk about major episodes because one thing we we've, we've seen with the Mandalorian 2 which is cool is that it it doesn't really it, it's it doesn't really have like it hasn't put itself into a box yet like every episode can be different some weeks and, and most weeks it kind of follows the the formula of he goes somewhere to a, a new place uh with the with the child Mandalorian and they have you know some uh problem they have to solve and they get some information and then they kind of move on and and some but some episodes we're getting a lot more backstory than others some are kind of episodes that were a lot of fun but didn't really progress the story that has not been the case in the last two uh, Actually two of the last three really Peter because we've seen a lot from when Bo-Katan came in and now These are just massive names in the Star Wars Universe with Bo-Katan with uh, Sokotano with uh, You know Grand Admiral Thrawn this like And in this same episode we also Found out the child who was being Referred to as the child or baby Yoda Has a name too in Grogu So these last couple episodes seem like they're really starting to progress things. Yeah, it's it's like you said, they have been balancing between doing their kind of their monster of the week, mm -hmm. you know, spaghetti uh, western kind yeah, of yeah, exactly. uh, little storylines with the very formulaic fix somebody's problem, get more information, move on. With and then mixing in these characters who have a lot, you know, a ton of backstory if you've watched any of the other stuff, but. Again, like we said, you have to they have to be able to stand on their own for somebody who's never even uh, watched any of that stuff. So yeah, it's been a, a, an incredible couple of episodes, you know, from really yeah, episode three with Bo-Katan coming on uh, and then seeing, you know, in episode four, you get a little bit of the, the Snoke tie in mm -hmm. and you see that the cloning they, stuff. And yeah, exactly. And then and then this episode, obviously, like. Ahsoka Tano is he's just huge outside you know in the uh Star Wars Clone Wars Rebels universe for folks he, she's a, one of the biggest characters in the story and a, a huge fan favorite so to see her in live action has been awesome
And she shows up here right away to to start episode five of season two of the uh, Mandalorian. And I mean, just an unbelievable scene to start on Cauldron out of uh, just out of the darkness. She is just looking so badass here. Tell us a little bit about the weapon that she's wielding. She's got the the different kind of saber. Yeah, so she has uh, the two white lightsabers, which is a new thing for anyone outside who's never seen those. Um, and she actually, she she got them by defeating a Sith uh, uh, apprentice, essentially, an inquisitor, if you will, is what they're called. And then, and then purifying the crystals because all the Sith have these red uh, lightsabers because they make the kyber crystal bleed. Uh, and that's kind of their, they're torturing it to their dark force, dark side will. And uh, she purifies it from this guy she beat. And so she's got these awesome white lightsabers. And we see a sort of a standoff pretty early on in this episode. We're introduced to the magistrate, this evil woman, who uh, and actually kind of cool in real life. I guess she's the goddaughter of Bruce Lee. So she's uh, apparently pretty uh, pretty badass fighter herself. But she is someone that um, Soka has a, a past with and she's trying to get some information out of her. We're going to find out later in the episode because another key name is mentioned, but she mentions wanting to know about the getting some information as far to where is the leader, where is your leader of this woman. So, she's talking about someone named uh, Grad Admiral Thrawn who's another big name. Yeah, and they they did a great job because by teasing that without letting us know until Ooh. the very end. Right, mm-hmm. you know, because you're like, oh, could, is it Moff Gideon? Who's she talking about? Um, and then, and then, bam! At the end, it's like Grand Admiral Thrawn, which is again another huge name. Um, so, is uh, he's a, a really fascinating character as well. So, it, it's exciting because you can see the tie-ins with uh, some of the shows, you know, Rebels in particular here. And a little, little bit of a tangent, but what's cool about this too is that we don't even know. If all of these people that are being introduced Are going to be back A ton in this show Or if they're just sort of teasing Like their own spin-off shows down the line Because we keep hearing about all these You know that are in that are in the works already The Obi-Wan is there going to be I'd imagine Rosario Dawson's not going to be just Playing this character for one episode of one show So they're, they've got bigger plans for her Down the line whether it be here or with her own Spin-off now you mention names like Grand Admiral Thrawn and you're starting To see but there have been teases of Bubba, Bubba Fett it already in this season So that's what's kind of cool is in the world you're already thinking wow like these characters might kind of have their own worlds and their own shows now moving forward yeah it it seems like now we're seeing mandalorian is just kind of sowing the seeds for all of these standalone shows you know and we may not see that much more of ahsoka tano but like you said now we get her her spinoff she's got her own show you got obi-wan going on you got boba fett You, you basically tied everything to this massively popular starting block and now your casual fans who might have just been like okay let's kind of see what this is about are now tied or hooked in and ready to go on to those next shows when they come out so most of the episodes you know we get right off the bat we're with mandalorian we're with the child this one is it's ahsoka for a while before we get to the Razor Crest, and we see Baby Yoda playing around, uh, like always, misbehaving like a <laughs> little child on there. And he's using the force. He's playing with some of the levers that he's always not supposed to. Uh, before Mando and and uh, and the child land 
to go find Ahsoka Tano. So they head into town, and it's just a real desolate place. And once you get into this area where they have to ask for permission in order to get into town, they tell them they're they're there for a layover. I mean, nobody wants to talk. Everybody's sort of in shackles. I mean, they actually have right outside of the magistrate's uh, place. They actually have these prisoners, like in like. Sort of hanging there being shocked to Just to kind of give you a, a little message Of like how nice of a place this is Yeah yeah, It's a, it's a great um, Really nice throwback to old You know the old western mm-hmm. desolate town When people are hiding away They're looking at the stranger coming through And he's walking down main street With that kind of swagger uh, And like you said It uh, doesn't look like a promising place to live so Mandalorian is trying to find information there And he is kind of taken by some guards Right up to the uh, the magistrate Who is what Morgan Elsbeth, uh, I believe her name is And she, while the entire town is awful She lives in this beautiful, like, palatial state With all this great garden and just greenery all over the place And she asks, tells Mandalorian she needs his help She wants, uh she wants to kill a Jedi And she says in exchange for that I will give you my Beskar spear here Which of course you know you throw Beskar out there Mando is intrigued right away So he's looking at that but he knows who she's talking about And he just asks where uh, Tell me where to go find the Jedi I will go find her And they lead him out there to you know That desolate forest we were talking about And He's making his way, sort of looking around. Anytime things are a little too quiet, you know, a Jedi is about to pop out somewhere, right? Because uh, that's what the case is. And we get just a, a quick, you know, 20, 10, 20 seconds of these two battling uh, before I think um, Din Mandalorian realizes, you know, you know, uh, I, I don't want to go too much longer with her because she's going to put me down. So he immediately says, Ahsoka Tano, Ahsoka Tano, Bo Katan sent me. Uh, she spots the child. And she says, wow, I, I hope it's a, it's about him. And then it's just like a wow moment here where we're we're getting, you know, her connecting. She immediately notices the child. And and within the next five minutes, we get I mean, we basically get a backstory for one of the main characters of the show that we've gone for two and a half years with not knowing a whole lot about the child. Immediately we get his name Grogu. And when she says his name and then when Mandalorian says his name, he just coos like he's so excited to hear his name being said. So how uh, how big a moment was uh, or a few moments was all of this, Peter? Yeah, it was uh, it was great because, like you said, we we don't have any backstory on on this kid. And so uh, we've all been kind of wondering about it and what's happening. Who is it? And from the beginning, we don't know. You know, there's this suspicion like, oh, is this a clone of Yoda? Because there's cloners involved. Is he his own person? And and uh, kind of all of his backstory, how did he come to exist? And so she fills in a lot of those gaps, right? We got that he was training at the Jedi Temple. He is his own being. He's not a clone of Yoda. Uh, he's obviously got his own name. Um, and But also that he was hidden away, you know, right, right at the start of the Empire and and there's enough mystery left behind too, where it's like, you know, uh, things get dark. We have a blurred, unknown past. So there's still some holes to be filled there, but a ton of information dropped all at once. 
Yeah, and then just questions that are asked after this too, like who who has he hidden from? Like who hid him? Who helped hide him? You know, who saved him? And like you said, is he? What relation does he have to Yoda? Because I guess in all of canon. There are three of these cre- these beings that have that have been spoken about, right? It's Yoda, Yaddle, and and then now Grogu. Yeah, it, we, and we still don't know a lot about him. He's the species is basically still unknown. We don't have a ton of information, and yeah, it's just Yoda, Yaddle, and and Grogu now. So, uh, Soka mentions that. She's going to test him in the morning she, she talks with Mando about the force And he says his powers I've seen him do things that I can't explain She actually mentions Yoda And that's another kind of cool thing When It's just cool when, when anyone like a Yoda Gets mentioned or some of the first times They talked about the force in the show And you start to get all the, the worlds connecting here And when Yoda was mentioned Grogu perks up Again so we, we have to imagine That there was some sort of a relation, relationship There when he's at the temple At least Yoda's teaching him something like that um, And she says in the morning she's going to test him But she does test him and the results Aren't really great and We get another of these cool really Throwback lines where she says I, I Sensed much fear in you She said she's you know she's worried Because he's so attached to Mandalorian that he has you know fear and and he'll use his fear and she has mentioned that I've seen what such feelings can do to a Jedi Knight even the best of us which is a reference to wow Anakin right yeah it's a it's a moment that stands on its own if you don't have her backstory but again if you know Ahsoka Tano was Anakin Skywalker's padawan and they were incredibly close she up until the very end of the Clone Wars was side by side with him through it all and for a long time didn't even know what happened to him afterwards and then finally finds out he turned to Vader and so she is you know replaying this like hey I can see what happens when somebody's got these attachments and these fears um and it 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 can turn even the best of us and she truly believed Anakin was the best Jedi Knight with reason I mean they he was amazing right and so She's been close to him, and and so it has a really big emotional impact here as well. You can see it on her face. Yeah, it, she's she's taken, you know, very like very much taken. Um, Man- Mando talks with her. Uh, he lets her know they're trying to kill her, and he says, "Hey, you know, same thing like like most episodes. I'll help you out. You help me out. You know, you if you train Grogu, I will help you uh, kill the magistrate. We'll find the, we'll get the information that you need. So they plan their attack, and then we get a, a funny line there uh, where he says, "A Mandalorian and a Jedi, they'll never see it coming. You know, which is uh, which is good, and and they didn't because uh, they were able to have a a good plan to get." Uh, Ahsoka into the town And then she gets up close and she's able To throw down some of the Mandalorian's Armor so you would think That she's killed him and she she even says To the magistrate I, your bounty Hunter is done no he's no good here And that's when the Mandalorian's able to to come in and and Sort of help and so what he does is he kind of Just stands guard and he He, get, he buys her time standing Guard outside of the magistrate so She can go in and have her one-on-one Battle and get the information that she Wants so uh, they uh, they have a Great plan and we were talking About two two pretty Pretty uh, bitchin fighters Together so they, they're going to be a tough team to Stop yeah and it it was Huge for Ahsoka to get uh, To have Mando with her because 
she you can see her as she mows through just all of these troopers and every guard sent her way. She had no problem getting to to the magistrate. The issue was the magistrate's like, I'm just going to start killing citizens. Mm-hmm. And so she doesn't have a, a way of stopping that. And then in comes Mando and he can free the prisoners, keep things settled, handles her business. And she doesn't have to worry about all these people just getting massacred while she goes and handles her stuff. So, so it worked out really well. Uh, the the magistrate's head henchman is kind of standing outside with with the Mandalorian, and there's a funny moment too. He's he's got a couple of good uh, comedic lines too, where he's just like, "Hey, who who do you think's gonna win?" You know, yeah. <laughs> and, then, yeah. and then he could he could tell after when uh, after the fighting, he he has another where he's like, "Uh oh, sounds like you won." You know, so yeah. this was a fun moment with these two out front. So well done because you just see him just listening. You can hear the the lightsabers and the the Beskar. Uh, spear going back and forth and they're just two guys they know what's going on and they and they're just waiting to hear how it ends and one thing about the the beskar spear too which we sort of see here is that it is able to sort of fight off a lightsaber right and this is uh setting up it seems you know to get mando uh ready to face moff gideon because moff mm-hmm. gideon's got if you remember that that uh, lightsaber at the end of the first season. Uh, it's actually called the Dark Saber. It's a Mandalorian red- relic, and so he's going to be prepared to to take him on. So after uh, a little battle with uh, uh, Ahsoka and the Magistrate, she she she's got her by the neck, and she mentions a name that is another big one in not. A name that you hear mentioned in the Star Wars movies, but as far as a massive character that just connects a ton of different time, uh, that's Grand Admiral Thrawn. So now we know that that's who she's looking for, and then it opens up a whole bunch of other new questions. Um, These are some characters that I don't know that well, but is is someone like an Ezra going to come into play? Is that who she's looking for? I mean, that's that's kind of fun um, for for those of you who know the world like you do, Peter. Is that Man, every time there's another piece of information, there's all these ways that information can go. Yeah, and so the last time uh, we had actually seen Ahsoka in anything was at the very end of Rebels, where she's meeting up with Sabine Wren, who's another Mandalorian, and they're going to go look for Ezra. Because Ezra was last seen uh, in a ship with Grand Admiral Thrawn that got thrown into hyperspace, into unknown regions. Nobody knows where they went. And so... Uh, Ahsoka's been hunting down Thrawn to to ostensibly find Ezra Bridger. So uh, that's another great tie-in. And and like you said, it leads to so many more episodes of of its own thing. So now uh, Ahsoka, after winning the battle, she gives Mando the Beskar spear. At first he doesn't want to take it, but she sort of convinces him to do so. And so, as you mentioned, that that'll set up that he's going to have to be dealing with somebody in a lightsaber battle uh, down the line in the in the very near future. Now the city is is no longer imprisoned. They are back to being a free city, which is what she wanted. And the, one of the the inhabitants of the city, who was actually sort of one of the only people who wanted to help Mando and and do his best to help him, he seems like he's the new mayor now. So uh, they are things are fixed uh, here for the for the moment. And Mando says, okay, I'm going to go get Grogu for what he thinks is a goodbye because he thinks he's going to be leaving Grogu with Soka to train him. Well, 
once he and so we're getting ready, but we can kind of tell and imagine it's not going to be a goodbye here because these two we we imagine are going to be connected at least for a, a while longer. So she says she cannot train him, but she tells the Mandalorian to go to Typhon, the place and place Grogu at the top of the mountain, and Grogu can choose his own path. And if there are any Jedi's uh, still around that will feel his presence, they will reach out to him. This is another huge moment because that's a place. That I may have butchered the name of, but that's a very pivotal place as far as the history and uh, like the the past of the Jedi. Yeah, it was uh, a temporarily the the headquarters of the the Jedi for a long time. It's got a, a very important uh, temple there, and uh, what we've seen in a uh, a couple of we see it in the Clone Wars, but more so in Rebels is these Jedi temples have ways of kind of connecting Force users to. To other Jedi and to to the greater force in general, and so going to Tython, placing him there, uh, and letting him open up to the force could potentially help him reach other Jedi who might be able to train him. And so, if there's any of the, you know, if, if this is maybe a Luke or a Leia that's somewhere out there, but one of the negatives about this is this could be like a Palpatine, right, or or a, someone that's evil, also. Yeah, yeah, it's it kind of leaves you up to to what the I'm guessing it seems like it's up to what's in Grogu's, you know, heart mm-hmm. if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh you, you know, is he opening up to the light or to the dark side? Um and then like Ahsoka mentioned, we don't there's not that many Jedi left. There're very few um around. And so of the known ones, the, it Luke, Leia, like we said Ezra, Ahsoka and you know that's about it. There's yeah. a there's two from a, the video game Fallen Order, but we don't know that they would want to tie those in. So not a lot of options. And as uh, as they leave, uh, Soka and Grogu share a, a little nod there that almost makes you think that you know that there was something a little more to this, right? Maybe she's maybe Grogu is kind of this is what he wants, and maybe yeah. she is kind of pushing pushing it along for him. So, or it could have just been a nod, but I don't know. It felt like there was a a little something more there, and uh, and and then there she goes. So, you know, the episode on just a standalone episode of TV, it was excellent. There was so much action, and what we've seen now from season one to season two is like with their budget and them realizing how big of a hit this is. Like the visuals and so many visual throwbacks to old Star Wars stuff. Like the moment when uh, Ahsoka and Grogu sort of first meet and they're reading each other's thoughts with the, the moon in the background, the the visual right off the bat in the forest with her and, and then we see the, the saber. Uh, I mean, just, just from a, a like a, a damn good looking standpoint, it, it's awesome. Then you throw in how well Filoni and Favreau Understand and they seem it's I think it's a respect thing right Like they respect the fans and they respect the Canon in the story yeah I mean that's the thing with them is they're They are themselves huge Fans they're Self-admitted nerds and they love This universe and so they They hold it and care for it with a, A reverence that I I think You know honestly a lot of fans felt was missing In the in the sequel trilogies That came out most recently you know, so they they've really cared for it. and and Dave Filoni has uh, has been a caretaker for this franchise now for a while. And so it, it's really well done. And like you said, the visuals are stunning. Um, really, Ahsoka, that opening scene where she's it 
you know, running through the mist and just seems like a ghost <laughs> destroying yeah. or hapless troopers. It, it was awesome. Yeah, I just so excited every week, like staying up to watch as soon as it comes out. Uh, when it comes out late, uh, love watching this, and and I'm I'm hooked now on going back. And and what what makes it cool too, Peter? Now it's really easy to watch everything because it's all right there on Disney for the most part now on Disney Plus. You know, like all of the the movies now, all of and even the shows, and so. It was before a year, a couple years ago You'd have to kind of find this here, find this there I mean, you can just watch it all For the most part, right there now And it feels like This show that came As just a TV, you know We we didn't realize what it was going to be This has kind of become like the center Of the Star Wars universe now Because it can it can connect Like everything Yeah, it's it's done a, They've done an incredible job of Of setting this up to pull in New fans or or casual fans into more depth, and just also keep your your you know fanatical fans happy at the same time. They've done an awesome job. It's it's so well done, Peter. This was exactly what I was looking for. Like there are so many questions or little things that I would need someone like you, and you could spell it all out. Uh, man, I can't thank you enough for helping me out. And I'm already gonna ask you if you don't mind. Maybe at the end of the season. In a couple weeks to come back and we can put a bow on season two and talk about some things that we might be looking forward to for for season three moving forward. I would love that. That sounds awesome. I I appreciate you for having me on. Uh, This has been a blast chatting about this show and the the whole Star Wars universe. It's it's awesome. You you take care of uh, your little man at home and I hope everything goes well with the family and you have a a nice couple weeks with the holidays coming up and I will I will talk to you soon because I'm definitely going to be asking you questions now anytime I have a question about something I'm going to shoot you a message so uh, thanks again buddy really appreciate this thanks again man feel free to hit me up we'll talk to you soon that was Peter Brady helping us out Star Wars expert He's going to be uh, one of our uh, our go-to guys here For all the Star Wars stuff On That's What G Said Don't go anywhere folks We'll be back with much more on this episode Just great stuff from Peter Exactly what I was hoping for Someone who could kind of bridge and fill in A lot of the gaps For some of us who are not quite as expert Star Wars fans But now I'm, I'm kind of getting hooked now I'm going back and starting to watch some of the uh, the animations and the cartoons So we can fill in all the gaps Because this is all canon This is all stuff that feels like it's going to be important now When we continue to watch these uh, these New Star Wars shows And spinoffs and movies That are going to be on Disney Plus Big thank you to Peter We'll have to get him back in a few weeks To discuss the uh, the Second season once it's, once it's finished up I'm going to finish up with uh, some thoughts on a couple of different things that are out right now. First, just real quick thoughts on the new Saved by the Bell, um, which is the reboot. And then after that, I'm going to talk a little bit about a movie called Happiest Season, which was on Hulu that I really enjoyed. Saved by the Bell, kind of corny and fun maybe to have on in the background with the kids. If you're an old Saved by the Bell fan, you'll get a kick out of seeing Zach and Kelly and Slater and Jesse and even a Lisa Turtle appearance in there. And Happiest Season is a movie that's a good Christmas movie that does not follow all the same tropes as every Christmas movie out there and that it's not very feel good even if it is sort of a happy ending predictable type movie there are some twists and turns along the way that 
throw you off And I I really enjoyed it It's like a gut punch too It, it makes you awkward and uncomfortable Those are the movies that I really like That make you feel sort of real So we finish up with some Say by the Bell And with Happiest Season when I wake up in the morning, my alarm gives out a warning. I don't think I'll ever make it on time. Oh, yeah. Say by the bell, Bayside High. It is back. They have a, a new sort of a reboot. It is uh, new Say by the Bell episodes on Peacock, which is NBC's streaming service. And what it is, is it is. The children of some of the major characters from Say by the Bell that play major roles in this. We'll be doing like a full recap of everything, but um, I I thought it was really fun. Uh, it's it's corny, but what I like with shows like this is it makes fun of itself. It knows what it is. It doesn't take itself too seriously. You don't, and it's not. All you get a little bit of Zach, a little bit of Kelly. Um, Mario Lopez is one of the main. Uh, Main characters in the show He is the football coach The athletic director And then Jesse is the guidance counselor So you get a lot more of uh, of, of Elizabeth Berkeley And of Mario Lopez Of Jesse and AC Than you do of, of Zach and Kelly Zach is the governor Of of California And It's It's, it's funny I mean Zach is still Kind of stupid Zach And you you have a whole bunch of new kids coming in. Basically, what ends up happening is some of the low budget schools get shut down, so they have to bust some kids into to Bayside that are from out of the area. So you have kids that are coming in from, um, you know, either inner cities or from families where they don't have a lot of money, and now they're dealing with the kids at Bayside who are loaded. Everything's on iPad. Every everything everyone's filthy rich. They're all hanging out with LeBron and and movie stars. So. I, I thought it's a lot of fun. It's a quick watch. It is, like I say, it's corny, it's goofy, but it's not, it, it doesn't pretend or take itself too seriously, which is just something that I want from a show that's going to be a little bit cor- uh, corny and goofy. Uh, it's, I don't know, it's like the Fuller House was was bad and a little cornier than this. Like, this is a little, it'll still deal with and some, some like more, Real issues in, in some of the episodes But um, yeah I, I think it's a lot of fun I, I really do And it, it, I think 8 episodes or 10 episodes On the uh, on the streaming so I'm not going to break down Every episode all 10 episodes On Peacock I won't be breaking them all down Individually or anything like that I just kind of wanted to give you some overall thoughts On uh, on the show and that Yeah I thought it was it was it's fun It's worth something you know something to throw on in the background When I was doing my work and uh, I enjoyed it I got a a kick out of seeing um, Everyone back You even get a a Lisa Turtle cameo At one point where they speak With her via I think Zoom But Saved by the Bell If you're a Saved by the Bell fan You'll get a little bit of a nostalgia kick And it's not like a show where I actually like the fact that they didn't try to just make it a show about Zach and Kelly and Slater and Jesse and that we got them in this show with the new characters. The show is about is much more about the new students at Bayside. Zach's son, Jesse's son, who are two of the major main characters and Zach's son is like Zach playing pranks on everyone, doing tricks. Jesse's son is the the big stud athlete Even though he's not really a, a stud athlete Or any good He's the, a really nice kind of good looking guy And you have them mixing With the, the kids coming in from uh, From the new schools So 
I had a lot of fun with it, but you know, don't expect it to be the greatest thing you're going to ever watch if you're a Saved by the Bell fan. I think you'll enjoy it. Something you can also throw on and uh and watch with the kids there. So uh, I don't mind Saved by the Bell on uh, on Peacock streaming on NBC. I'm a big fan of Christmas, Christmas movies, music, everything. Although I'm not when it comes to Christmas movies, I like the authentic Christmas movies. I'm not as big on the Hallmark. ABC Family uh, Christmas movies that they have that are all sort of follow the same template. But there's a new uh, a new Christmas movie out this year that's called Happiest Season and it's on Hulu. And I really really liked it because it is not. There's a lot of the same things you get in in a Christmas movie or in just like a rom com, but it it's so different in that it. It makes you feel sick for a little bit Like you feel like you just got gut punched It's not a, a normal Happy go lucky everything's going great And it's even a little bit unpredictable At points where It doesn't feel like The ending is going to be All warm and fuzzy Some spoilers I'll talk about in these few minutes I'm not going to go through the entire movie But it It's a story That could have been good even without The Christmas aspect it it doesn't lean on Christmas as much. It's more a story about the relationship between our two main characters here. And we have Kristen Stewart, who's Abby, and Mackenzie Davis, who's Harper. And they are dating. They are in love, both the lesbian. And Harper has not come out to her family yet. Th- these two have been together for a while. Abby does not know this. She thinks that Harper has told her family, because Harper has, in fact, said... Yeah, I told my family about us last year, so she lied. Her family is a... They don't talk about their politics or anything in general, but they're more of a conservative-type family, and the dad, in fact, is running for office, so they... Harper doesn't want her family to know yet that she's a lesbian. She has not come out to them, and she has not told them about the woman that she's been living with and in a relationship with for a year now. So... The start of this, we we have this really cool Christmassy moment with the the two of them, and they're getting in the Christmas mode. and And, and Kristen Stewart has been someone who's not really liked Christmas, so Harper's kind of having to 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 get her on the Christmas train. And so after this awesome night, Harper invites Abby to come back with her to meet the family. And so Abby is is excited. She's ex- actually expecting to propose. Not knowing that the family she's going to meet doesn't know anything about their relationship, doesn't even know that her girlfriend uh, is gay. So the when they get to the family's house, some of the stuff that Abby has to go through, uh, I mean, just getting kind of pushed in the corner, getting neglected while Harper is running into all of her old friends and ex-boyfriends and having to... Go along with her dad and and talk you know, politics and I mean it's it's sad for a while and I felt like I'm openly rooting against Harper. You you start openly rooting for Abby to to like team up with with Harper's ex girlfriend who plays a really great role. Aubrey Plaza, uh, Riley, she she lets Abby know. A lot of about a lot of Harper's past that Abby doesn't. In fact, Riley and Harper were really good friends growing up, and they became more than friends 
And then when people found out about them, uh, Harper acted like it, nothing was going on and that uh, and that Riley was crazy. So this is something that has been happening for a while. Harper has not been able to ever tell her family who she really is. And she's hurt a lot of people in her life because of that. And so Abby's starting to realize that maybe the woman that she thinks she fell in love with is nothing like the woman that she fell in love with. And to make it, you know, even even better, one of the... Uh, the main characters in this show in this movie is Dan Levy from Shit's Creek who is just hilarious he's a good friend of Abby and so he's kind of helping Abby along the way as she's calling him and asking him for advice and telling him what's going on i i like this movie quite a bit because it's just not the same average corny happy go lucky like it's predictable in some spots and you can say you you probably know where things are going and and what What's going to happen But along the way there are some some Twists and turns that feel very real Feel very honest Feel very gritty in a situation That hey like I'm not going to pretend I know what this Situation's like how much How difficult must it be to go tell your Family something um, That you are already Worried about the response something that's Life changing like this something that's a big Deal who you really are The, the moment felt Real um in that it felt like I thought that everybody in this from an acting standpoint did a really good job. I've never even been like a huge Kristen Stewart fan, but she came off very likable in here. Um, and what's great is that these are really good actors with a real like big budget. It doesn't feel like one of those kind of thrown together Christmas movies. This, this was a good movie. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I, I like the movies that are a bit, um, you know, uncomfortable and at times and awkward, as I legitimately over and over thought Abby's got to be done with her. Like Kristen Stewart cannot continue to stay with this character until the very end when she finally had to be at her most vulnerable and she finally opened up and she did feel like that she was changing a, a little bit. I like this. This is on Hulu. Happiest season on Hulu. Let me know what you think. If you've watched it, if you agree with me, if you disagree with me, if I'm right, if I'm dead wrong in the. Uh, in the analysis of this movie And let me know if there are any good uh, other Christmas movies Out there that you've been watching I always like to hear about them Something maybe in this tone right Doesn't have to like in that I like even if it's a newer Christmas movie I'm just not big Into the uh the hallmarky Ones that you can kind of feel Are uh Are, are very contrived so Happiest season check it out On Hulu that is going to do it for this episode of That's What G Said Podcast. So, yeah, I recommend both uh, Say by the Bell and Happiest Season. Happy Season, good Christmas movie to watch. Say by the Bell, throw it on in the background while you're doing some stuff. It's funny. It'll give you some laughs, and uh, and you'll enjoy it. We we covered a ton of ground on this episode, huh? Alex Regla, NBA, uh, NFL Week 13 with Eric. Big thanks to them for joining. We talked some Sable Duel Friday Gulfstream and Aqueduct, Saturday Gulfstream and Aqueduct Alex pulled double duty Because he talked All Elite Wrestling with us Peter Brady talking Mandalorian And then some Say by the Bell And uh, some Happiest Season thoughts Just like we like it Action-packed episodes of That's What G Said With all sorts of different topics For ya Thank you so much for joining us again folks Don't forget, subscribe, rate, review, download Share the show around with all your friends Let them know, hey 
this isn't a show like any other. We're going to try to give you as much information about as many different things as possible. And if it's something that I don't know about, I'm going to bring in one of the really good guests that can help out. It's like we did today with Peter talking Mandalorian. So thank you so much, folks. Have a great weekend. And here we go, Joey. Take it away.